I knew Mo, I knew he was headstrong, talking loud, saying stupid things. So when he turned up dead, I let it go. And I said to myself, this is the business we've chosen. I didn't ask who gave the order, because it had nothing to do with business. I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram's a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is T.J. Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We are back with the Karen Martin, who is a godfather expert. Hey. You want to know why? Why? Because we're doing some Godfather today. Oh, that explains it. <laughs> Part two, my brother. <laughs> yes. Welcome, Kieran. Thank you for having me again. And now, last time, we did breach the fact that, that you believe the best movie ever made is The Godfather. Right. There really aren't right. any parts. But if you had to go on the record and say, which is the best of the two releases, you got a favorite Godfather uh, Well, movie? so I think that's two different questions. There is what do I think is the best uh-huh. and what is my favorite. Uh, mm, this is true. Yeah. And my favorite, I think, is part two. Yep. Part two is my favorite. And I think you can make the argument that part two is the best. Oh, see, so you got me on that one. Yeah. I thought I was going to say, we're, we're flipped. Um, the themes are different. So in part two, it's, it's so much about legacy. Part one is so much about the American dream. So it, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to define or come to a conclusive answer about what is the best. I hadn't thought which about is the, the best. theme on the second one. That's a yeah. good one. The, yeah. the theme of the second one is the American dream. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a great call. Did you have a favorite, Teach? I think the first one is way better than the second one. Yeah. And I almost want to make the argument that that is objective. <laughs> <laughs> the first one strikes me like you're drinking Coca-Cola. You have found the the perfect recipe. It's pretty simple, but this is this is it. The second one is like a really fine wine, and you gotta know some stuff about wine in order to really get into it and say, "Oh, that's how this all played out, and the minerals, and here's what's in the soil, and this is where they grew it, and this is the time of the year, and right. it just so happened that El Nino hit, and it's that sort of thing." Right, I think that's true. That's fair, but also movie wise. I don't know that I, I have seen them enough to have a, an argument here, but but story-wise, I think the first one is a much more compelling and, and interesting story Yeah, with a more redeemable main character. Goes from here to there, doesn't bounce around a lot, right. as opposed to the second one. I mean, right. <laughs> the second one definitely has some, I don't want to say pacing problems, but <laughs> there's there are some parts towards the end, because it's jumping around so much, it can be a little bit difficult and a, a little straining to to keep up with. Whereas when you watch part one, you sail through it. Right. At no point are you bored, yeah. right? You know, um, and not that I would say that you get bored watching part two, but 
you know, there are other parts that, you know, it, where you're on, you know, on the edge of your seat and then other parts where it, you know, it feels like the pacing is backed off dramatically. Right. Some of the stuff that gets you into these movies and we, uh, I was thrilled that TJ, that you went online and kind of stumbled into this sort of thing. Uh, before recording is that the the movie trivia behind these is is outstanding and it kind yeah. of brings a lot more body into these for some reason right absolutely it's I, I mean this is one of those films where it's like the movie trivia just goes on and on and on and on in terms of stories and retellings and how did this happen so I have in my hot little hand Jeff's Godfather quiz Ooh, to get us great. into the fun facts okay of the second one so neat I'm gonna start with uh, a couple of questions TJ will answer first being the Godfather novice, yet depth analysis in our last podcast, I must say. Well, it's just it's super high level. <laughs> and then Kieran will go second. Uh, you may know this. I know Kieran knows this. That Coppola had a, a very hard time filming that first movie. Sure. So the second movie's coming up, and he decides he doesn't want to direct the movie. So he calls a buddy of his to direct. Do you know what director he wanted to direct the second movie? Who did Coppola call? Well, it wasn't Sophia. <laughs> Still a teenager. Actually, at this point, she's probably four. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say Kubrick. Ooh, it's a good one. Do you know? I don't. It's a young director named Martin Scorsese. Uh, was it Scorsese? Uh, Could you imagine the Scorsese Godfather 2 film? It would I be a different movie. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I mean, for me, the two greatest gangster films are Godfather and Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah. And they could not be more diametrically opposed yep. right. in the stories they're telling. Right. I got to go back to God, to Goodfellas. All right. Second question. How many words does De Niro speak in English in this movie? Seven. Yeah. It, it's not many. 10 maybe. The answer is 17. 17. I don't know the, them off the hey, top of my 10 head. Plus hey, 10 plus seven. We yeah. got there. Yeah. <laughs> TJ was thinking of one scene. I was thinking of the other. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Godfather 2 is only is one of only two sequels to win the Best Picture Award. Can you name the other one? Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is Return of the King. It is Return of the yeah. King. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Man, uh, that's not a sequel. But it's, uh, that's, I thought you were trying to... Yeah. <sighs> Tricky. I mean, I realize that. <laughs> I mean, if, if it comes after the first one, does right. it not count yeah. as a it's, sequel? It's, it counts. <laughs> James Kahn made $35,000 for his part in Godfather. How much did he make for his one scene in Godfather 2? I'm going to say 500000 Right. I'm going to say a million. He made $35,000 for his Ooh. one scene in Godfather 2. Is that two. right? Okay. He just yeah. wanted him to double it. <laughs> well, I mean, because I know that uh, that was the big reason why Brando didn't come back is because they couldn't agree on, on pricing. Uh, on pricing. Yeah. Even yeah. just for that one scene. I mean, he wanted he wanted money. He wanted to get paid. Didn't to come back. Didn't show up. Yeah. Just I I think they scheduled him and he didn't show up. Oh, is yeah. that right? Yeah. Oh, I thought that they had a contract dispute prior to filming. Well, what I read today was that he didn't show up, so they uh Coppola rewrote the whole scene that night and filmed oh, the next day. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Honestly, I think it's better without Vito. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Khan made thirty five grand for the first Godfather. How much did Talia Shire make for the first Godfather? Who's Talia Shire? In Rocky, so the sister, the yeah, Connie. I'm gonna guess she made eight dollars. <laughs> Close. <laughs> yeah, like a, a, a thousand bucks. She made fifteen hundred dollars. And she actually got punched in this movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 
Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, equality of, of uh, salaries in the workplace? It's bad. It's, it's real bad. You don't like it equality? It was particularly for... worse in the 70s. <laughs> it was it's worse. still pretty bad. Yeah. What day is Vito Corleone's birthday? I know this. Oh! <laughs> oh, I don't know this. You have to really be paying attention. Mm-hmm. May 2nd. That's close. What day is it? December 7th. Why is it December oh, 7th? Because in that scene, Pearl Harbor's just happened. Oh. And he says, keep dropping bombs in our own backyard on Pop's birthday. Uh, they didn't know it was Pop's birthday. Dang it. So it's, I yeah. wasn't paying that close of attention. I, I, upon thorough rewatch, there's like watching the movies and then mm-hmm. there's watching them with a script in your hand. You got to prepare a podcast. Right. I, I was shocked at how many racist things are said oh, in these yeah. movies. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, oh. Deeply, like, yeah. Yeah. I feel like our last episode ended with a, a pretty racist statement from, was his name, Wally, the, the di- film director? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's because I probably am German Irish, so I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Yeah. You listen, my crop, McFriend. <laughs> De Niro and Pacino are actually in four movies together. Four. Three of them came afterwards. Can you name the three movies? Well, Heat is one. And Heat is the first. I bet you can get the second. He is the first. Yeah. Well, oh. uh, Godfather 2 would be the first. Right, then, yeah, yeah. No, following that. That's right. All I keep thinking about is uh, Dustin Hoffman as the elder Fokker in Meet the Fockers. <laughs> that's honestly I'm pretty sure I, that's not that right. Was, yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. Meet the, yeah, Meet the Parents or something like that. I had never heard of the second one. I have no idea. The second one is called Righteous Kill. And then the third one did very well. It was a Netflix release just recently. Oh, my God. The Irishman. Right. Oh, I, kn- I knew that failed. you knew. We failed. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask. So us. I, I have to retract my previous statement. If there's, it's the, the only time that they are in a scene together was in Heat. Yeah. Except for that for the five Irishman. minutes, except for the Irishman, in which and apparently they're, this they're other in scene. Film. Yeah. yeah they're, or they're, in, they're in scenes together for most of the film. With yeah, Pacino being Jimmy Hoffa and uh, De Niro is uh, the Irishman. I need to go back and name? rewatch Frank, that one. As Frank well. Sheeran, yep, I think was his name. Yeah, that's a good one. Any relation to Ed Sheeran? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, I don't believe so. He's an Aussie, not an Irishman. You ready oh, to get he? into this? Oh, is <laughs> I assumed he was. A, I think is he? Think How do English? you know that? Because I, no I listened to Ed. <laughs> Just for the record, we're laughing because of the look of shame on Jeff's face. <laughs> I seriously, I have an acoustic go-to playlist that I really enjoy of that man's music. So, mm. although he was crap in his cameo in uh, Game of Thrones, right? He was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Say, uh, Lannister soldier sitting by the fire singing, playing a doesn't guitar. take you out of the show at all. Going, oh, hey, that's that's your. <laughs> But this is an Enneagram podcast. <laughs> we, uh, I'm sure you heard the first one if you're listening to this one. But just to recap, we are doing five characters. Vito, who we typed as a two. Sonny, who we typed as an eight. Michael, who we typed as a five. Tom, who we're still on the fence with between six and nine. I solidified on nine after doing the edit. and I wish I could have said 12 things in the process, <laughs> but... You get a chance. Unfortunately, now. it is out in the on the internet now. And then Fredo, we are between a two and a three. So we're gonna talk through those characters and the scenes that they're in together. So they're the Godfather 2 is a really complicated movie. There's there's at least 50 scenes. We're gonna pick the top 10, especially those that highlight the inner lives 
of these characters, and we're going to talk about their types as well as um, some of just the, the flow of this movie and how it exposes uh, the inner lives of these characters. So I forgot something last time as well. Aside from forgetting all of my great arguments for Thomas <laughs> and Nine, I forgot the one rule. The one rule. When typing other people, which we all want to do, of course, one rule when typing other people. What is the one rule when typing other people, TJ? Don't. This is true across the board. It's incredibly difficult to be self-controlled and a good person, but this is one of the marks of true character. <laughs> Once you get into Instagram world is that you don't, you choose not to type other people. Anyone who says they never type other people, they're lying at least a little bit. But all of us work really hard to not impose type on other people. You can't know other people's motivations. What you can do is ask them introspective questions yep. about who they are yep. and actually have connection with them and say, do you find, you know, that you really are thinking a lot about the future? Do you get angry easy? You know, how do you wrestle with X, Y, and Z? These actually are relationship building questions right. as opposed to saying things like, are you an eight? For example. Now, we do have one uh, exception to the rule, which is famous folks and fictional characters. I suppose those are two exceptions. But there are people in the public sphere who, when we talk about people who are, who are famous, this is all speculation, and we by no means want to pigeonhole them or take away you know, their experience in the Enneagram. But it can be a very helpful reference point for us to have conversations about what it looks like um, to see other people who might have our type who, you know, are on, on the public stage. And the second is fictional characters. And one of the great things about fictional characters is that if you create great movies, you are showcasing the inner life of great characters. And so this is one of the best places for us to talk about other people's types in ways that, you know, really elevate our own types and our own understanding of others, especially the unhealthy uh, the unhealthy side of Enneagram types because normally unhealthy people don't come on our podcast. We cut them off. Right. Well, that's what I got. You ready to get into this? Let's do it. The movie starts out with a hand kiss in a throne room. I mean, a hand getting kissed in a, a boathouse, I think, uh, next to Lake Tahoe. Yeah, tomato, tomato. <laughs> Move from that. There's the, this is the Godfather 2. And then suddenly... We're, uh, you know, 60, 70 years back, and we're in Italy at a funeral. And we see a caravan. We see violence occurring. We see a men getting shot. And as the funeral proceeds, there are subtitles. What do the subtitles say? Basically, it's it's an explanation of, of, what, of how Vito became Vito. Right. He was born Vito Andolini and, uh, in Corleone. And uh, he was, his father was killed for slighting a local mafia boss. Right. And his brother ran off into the hills saying, vowing revenge. Mm -hmm. And so he, a nine-year-old, was the only one standing with his mother at his father's funeral. Brother is killed. Father is died. Mom goes to the local Don to beg for Vito's life. And as you know, she is shot. Vito runs away. Great little Moses scene, thrown in a basket on mm -hmm. a donkey, ushered out of town, yeah. gets on a boat. While the, while the mafia criers are going around <laughs> town yelling to everyone, if you help this child, you will pay. I won't check the 
moving van that's driving <laughs> <Right>. through town <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> the guy is like whistling and yeah. salutes. <laughs> so nonchalant. <laughs> Boat arrives in America. Beautiful shots of the Statue of Liberty and the hearts of these immigrants as they're looking at this new land. We see the Ellis Island scene. We see mm-hmm. Vito being selected to step aside. He needs to be quarantined. And if you were really attracted to Vito in the first movie and you're in the second movie and you see this 10-year-old scrawny kid in a small, you know, concrete cell on Ellis Island and the words come across the screen, Vito Corleone, 1901. I sob every time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a, A kid who can't talk, who watched... His whole family get murdered yeah. and is now alone in a completely different country, sitting in a cell, stel- staring at the Statue of Liberty. The thing is, you see him there, but you already know who he is. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, it's like he made it. That's actually a thing that goes through my heart is that there's like a can do emotion that comes over me seeing that of what a profound human being to get to where he got. Yeah. Yeah. You got thoughts on that, kid? Banking off of what happened in the first film, one of the greatest opening lines, I believe in America. So much of the film is about America. So much of it is about the American dream. And so to have the first scenes of the movie be violence back home in your native country and then coming across to America. And the first scene is just of the Statue of Liberty and seeing all of the passengers, you know, staring, you know, just sort of, uh, uh, awestruck at yeah. the Statue of Liberty is a, is really really powerful. Yeah, um, and continuing on that theme, that overall theme of of the movie, I, I I also I also cry every time I watch that that scene, that end scene when he starts kicking his feet on the chair mm-hmm. uh, and singing. Um, but I also think that there's something to be said about you know when they put Vito, Vito Corleone in 1901 at the at the bottom. There's something really powerful about that. Knowing you, you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not only was he just given this name by you know some dumb security worker yep. at Ellis Island, right? Um, but he like this is he he has become this new person. Almost. Yeah, this it's is almost it's a identity. rebirth. It's a it's a it's almost a birthing scene. Yeah. And also, I think it it informs his character that we know from from part one as relatively soft spoken, mm-hmm. relatively calm. You know, to see him as a child go through all this trauma, at no point do I do I feel like he ever has a has an expression that is one of terror or fear per se. I mean, I think maybe when his mother is killed, he's obviously scared. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, spending three weeks on a passenger boat and then lining up with all of these people who are presumably from lots of different countries yeah. around the world, he just is so going with the flow, but also very attentive. It's not mm-hmm. like he's stu- like he's just sort of something like he seems like he's very much looking around. He's taking everything in. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful scene. It's a really powerful introduction and very informative of the character that we already know. Yeah. So it's a great observation that he's not a fearful person and he makes a lot of great decisions because he's not fearful. Exactly. In the rest of the movies. He mm-hmm. maintains. Yeah. He maintains his, uh, critical thinking skills. Yeah. He, it's almost like they, they get heightened right. um, in situations that are stressful where most people would panic or make rash decisions. You know, that's, yep. that's a big part of his character mm-hmm. and why he, you know, in part one, 
is the most powerful criminal, you know, lord, uh, mafia, you know, mafioso in the world. Yeah. So when he loses his job later on and doesn't beg for the job, understands the situation, isn't afraid of the future, and even rejects provision the ba- the box of groceries mm-hmm. because he would prefer some other assets. I think that allows him to elevate and you, and you see a lot of character there. I think. Definitely. Continuing some of our points about him being a, a, a two, the, the juxtaposition here of like, like we see in, in the, throughout the first movie, we see this character that is intentionally surrounded by people that he can call friends. Mm-hmm. Like the, the thing that he is constantly cultivating is relationship. And one of his formative experiences is of being completely alone. Yep. Like as someone who doesn't speak English and doesn't have any family left, he comes to this country and is completely isolated. Like he, he doesn't even know when people are calling his name because it's not his name. Right. (laughs) And and like, he doesn't speak the language he's, and he, he has to be isolated for three months Mm -hmm. and, and like of, it, it just, it makes so much sense that the thing that he would want as an adult is to be surrounded by family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. And Michael's story is the opposite. Right. It's surrounded by family as he's growing up and all he wants to do is, is leave. I'm going to sign up for the military. I'm going to get out of here. And right. obviously the last scene, both, both of the last two scenes and uh, Michael is alone in a chair in both the last two scenes of this movie. Yeah. Yep. One other thing I want to bring up, this is a total side note, but Sean got me thinking on something. Sean had asked me a question about why my oneness was displayed in a different way than other ones, twos, and sixes. We were talking about stance. Mm, sure. I've been wrestling with that question for a month mm-hmm. now, and a lot of it has come up in my own heart and mind along my early development years, my, my parents got divorced when I was early. I ended up uh, doing a lot to raise my brother. My mom was working uh, two, two jobs. There is something about reactive types who have to take leadership roles early, early, early on that I've been trained to wrestle with. And, and it's helped me to see the difference between myself and a lot of other ones. But I think that's the the case here with Vito as a two. Yeah, Vito is forced real early on to grow up. Yep, and it says how that two-ness gets embodied in him, and how he has to be a leader, even though he's a reactive type. There aren't a lot of two leaders, right? But I find that very interesting. I suppose we could talk about the president on this front. The president lost two children, one child, and his wife in a car wreck. I think it's very likely that Biden's a two. I think his suffering really materializes in a, a certain form of leadership skill. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know if that's that's kind of a side note, but it, but it's it was the it's been a big meditation I've had when looking at these films. Yeah, I like that. Move to a party. This mimics the the wedding in the first movie. This is a very American party. It's not an Italian party. Uh, we move into a catering of American culture. We move into a stripping away of all the things that were Italian, although it's a celebration of an Italian communion scene, yeah? Yes. Like the first movie, the Don is meeting with people, 
and I want to, there's lots of things that we could say about all these conversations, which we could probably talk for two hours on just the, right. the conversations here. Yeah. Um, but I really want to talk about this Senator Gary scene, which again, this is an incredible scene and, uh, it's an intro to some characters in both movies. We have a dark office in both movies. The Godfather is sitting there and doing business. As opposed to Bonacera, who is coming, asking for some stuff, Michael is trying to take over the country. Mm-hmm. Michael is trying to accumulate properties, and a senator is sitting in front of him. Well, I mean, yeah, he's, he's effectively trying to take over Las Vegas, um, trying to take over all of the casinos, of which he would need serious political support in order to do that, which Senator Geary, is the, he's, he's the senator from Nevada, so he has direct sort of control over the gaming commission. I also think that part of the reason that the, that this scene matters is how alike and yet how different it is from the scene from yeah. Bonacera and Vito at like the, the opening scene of the Godfather is the Godfather at a party doing business. And the opening scene of the, the second scene of the second movie is the Godfather at a party doing business and mm-hmm. how alike they are is as important as how different they are. Yeah. Yeah. Vito has a ton of relational leverage over bonus era. Yeah. This is not the case with Senator Gary. Right. Senator Gary gets Michael's name wrong on a microphone, gets his wife's name wrong on a microphone yep. and then moves into the office. And then you realize that he knows their names quite well. Yeah. And yeah. he's publicly insulting them. Yeah. And like Vito had senators and judges in his pocket and Michael clearly does not. I yes. Missed that. That's yes. A good one. Yeah. That was Vito's power. Hasn't developed that skill yet. Yeah. Or ever, I suppose. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michael comes in. It's my lawyer, Tom Hagen. He's the one who arranged this whole thing for your man, Turnbull. Yes, yes. Sir. I was under the impression that you and I would talk alone. I trust these men with my life, sir. If I were to ask them to leave, it would be an insult. Well, it's perfectly all right with me, but I should tell you that I am a blunt man, and I intend to speak very frankly to you. Maybe more frankly than anyone in my position has ever talked to you as Michael had people be frank with him in the past, he's a Marine. Yeah. He's a decorated war hero. Right, right. <laughs> I think Gary's overplaying his hand. That's the part of the, the whole setup here is that, that Gary is setting himself up as he's the one with the cards. Right. In this situation. he's He thinks he's the one with the cards? Yeah. He, he has enough power and corruption in and of himself yeah. to believe that he's the one in charge in this meeting. Right. Totally underestimating the person, the short guy behind the desk. Right. But thinking that he knows who he is. Right. Yeah. I mean, clearly, clearly because that, the, the next line is he spells out for him entirely what his you know, investments are in Las Vegas. He knows you know, which hotels and has intel on... Mm-hmm what his next move is going to be. Which the the look between Michael and Tom suggests that he shouldn't know he that. He really should not know that. Yeah. yeah. 
Carleon family has done very well here in Nevada. You own or you control two major hotels in Vegas, one in Reno. The licenses were grandfathered in, so there was no problem with the gaming commission. Now, my sources tell me that you plan to make a move against the Tropicana. They tell me that within a week, you're gonna move Klingman out. That's quite an expansion. However, it will leave you with one little technical problem. The license will still be in Klingman's name. Michael actually responds thinking he has a card to play. Turnbull is a good man. Which I think means I have somebody who's willing to do the work. Yeah? No, because Turnbull is, is Geary's man. Uh, my lawyer, Tom Hagen, he arranged this all through your man, Turnbull. Right. So I think that what is what is what he is saying is that whoever this is, you know, your fixer or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he is worth the money that you're paying him, kind right. of a thing. It's a it's a very sort of like <laughs> clearly he he it was not he did not want Geary to know what his next move was going to be. Right. It's a good way to, for him to kind of be ingratiating in in that uh, in that moment to I think try to you know salvage you know the fact that. Oh, I don't have the the upper hand anymore. Right. So uh, I also think we're we're still seeing a lot of Michael trying to be like his father. Completely. Like there, there's a lot of failed but attempted relationship building. Right. Michael's just not good at it. He's not charming. He doesn't have that that charm. Right. Um, and I think it's evident too in the 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 first line in the scene or or the uh, Michael's first lines in this scene. Um, saying, if I can ever perform a service for you, you only need to ask. Right. Of, of, you know, this is straight out of Vito's playbook. Yeah. Um, although it's it's also interesting because any time that we've seen Vito using these relationship relationships to you know with with favors and whatnot, it always seems to be people coming to him. Mm-hmm. Like he he has cultivated this image and this this. Um, Clout. This clout, yeah. yeah, clout is a good word. Um, uh, around him, that people know who he is and that they can go to him for favors. Mm-hmm. There will be, you know, a favor. There's going to be something. Yeah. yeah, it's not free, but yeah, Michael is very much on the opposite side of this, right? While still trying to use his father's playbook. Yeah, love this as an image, and I had never caught it that they're he's trying to use the playbook and it's just not working for him. This is a great lesson on Ingram front of knowing who you are, who you aren't isn't interesting, but he's trying to be a two and he's just not exactly. He doesn't have those skills. Right. And he has very different skills and he needs to figure out, yeah, what they are. Go ahead. And as soon as Senator Geary says, yeah, well, let's, let's cut out the bullshit. I don't want to spend any more time here than I have to. You're going to have a license. Price is $250,000, plus a monthly payment of 5% of the gross. Of all four hotels, Mr. Corleone. This is what it's going to cost you. Right. Michael immediately flips on a dime. Yeah. And is, is, is himself. Yeah. Is, is the five. Is the calculating sort of, you know, taking in all the information. And, and all of his responses thereafter are very short, very to the point. Now, the price... For the license is less than twenty thousand dollars. Am I right? That's right. Now, why would I ever consider paying more than that? Because I intend to squeeze you. 
I don't like your kind of people. I don't like to see you come out to this clean country in your oily hair, dressed up in those silk suits. You try to pass yourselves off as decent Americans. I'll do business with you, but the fact is that I despise your masquerade, the dishonest way you pose yourself, yourself and your whole fucking family. He clearly he has a chip on his shoulder and, you know, has something to prove to this guy and is obviously very racist as well. Right. But Michael is just cold, calculating for the rest of the scene. Right. It's his playbook at that point. Yeah. And sure enough, he gets what he wants at the end of it. I mean, he, you know, Geary loses, I think, that, that interaction when he leaves. But Geary doesn't know that. He yet. doesn't know it. Yeah. Doesn't but know he it. but he loses that interaction yeah. for sure. Yeah. Leaves having turned the iron cannon on Michael's desk towards Michael. Right. 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 That's how confident he is walking out. Which then is followed by one of the more famous lines in the movie. Senator. You can have my answer now if you like. My offer is this. Nothing. Not even the fee for the gaming license, which I would appreciate if you would put up personally. <laughs> Good afternoon, gentlemen. Just to highlight it, because we hit it last time, that is the offer. Michael thinks it's a fair offer, and when you don't accept the Godfather's fair offer, then he's going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Exactly. Ugh. Anything else to say about Michael as a five here? Because he's terrible and racist, he says something about how upset he is that these Italians come to the to the desert that they've stolen from Native Americans and built a, a giant city on. But but like the senator is upset that these Italians are trying to pretend like they're not dirty and and like present themselves as upstanding citizens, sitting there being terrible and racist and literally extorting a businessman and and michael the way that he says the line here is i i think so important about acknowledging and 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 owning but also like like it's it's almost an observe it's an objective observance that you and i are both playing a role here Senator, we're both part of the same hypocrisy. But never think it applies to my family. All right, all right. Uh, because, because Michael still has that thing where he is trying to keep his family sort of clean. Right. But the fact that he is able to acknowledge and what the senator can't acknowledge, that, that we're both playing a role here. Yeah. Is, it seems like a very five line. Yeah, it's good. So in this party, just like Godfather 1, a lot of characters are getting introduced. Frank's introduced. We get to see Connie again. We get to see uh, Michael's mother. What's her name? I don't actually know. Mama? (laughs) Mama Corleone? I I think that's what they call her. It's uh, Carmilla. The button men are introduced. We get to see Fredo, uh, who's, who's dressed up in a fantastic tuxedo. Fredo, you son of a bitch, you look great. His suit is so great. <laughs> yep. And we get to meet Johnny Ola. Johnny Ola is one of these kind of sinister characters. You you know it from the outset. He's coming, doing business with Michael. When Johnny and Michael meet, Tom gets kicked out. You want to know why, TJ? 
Because we got to keep Tom clean. Tom's presence doesn't matter. Wow, that hurts. And you can see it all over Tom's <laughs> face too. <laughs> Tom really wants to be dangerous. This is something that I've been thinking about Tom and is routinely told that he can't be dangerous. Mm -hmm. And there's some spots in this movie when he's off by himself, he gets to be dangerous. Sure. But he also, Tom also knows where the power is. And right. getting kicked out of the room means you don't have the power. Tom isn't going to sit in with us, Johnny. He only handles specific areas of the family business. Tom? Sure, Mike. And we'll talk about Johnny Ola later. And then there's this scene with Frank Pentangeli. I would love to spend most of our time talking about this character, and mm -hmm. we just can't because it's not mm -hmm. one of our top fives. But right. this, this scene is fantastic in setting up the theme of the movie, it seems to me, where Kay represents America. In my mind, Frank represents Italian-Americans. And even the legacy of Vito and, yeah. like, just yeah. the heart there and oh, all the things that happened to Frank in this movie seem to be, you know, it, the showcasing Italian-Americans in this story, yeah? I think so, yeah. And I also think that, like, we talked about this last time, that, like, Vito's sort of marriage to the old, wor to the old world and, and the, the ways that, that the old world did things. I think Frank represents the old world. Yeah. Yes. And and the tension that Michael finds himself in in basically everything that happens with Frank is that that Michael is trying to move to the new world and still keep a foot in the old world. And it's like that that's just that's not an option, especially yeah. because you're not Vito. Right. Frank in my mind represents a whole lot of wisdom, a lot of it's in his blood. It's long suffering. He like he is Michael's elder who ought to be the place that Michael is going for insights mm -hmm. and Michael instead chooses to learn from and even do battle with a different older mentor. Mm -hmm. Whereas Frank really is the person that should have filled Vito's space as kind of the person, you know, who, he, who, who was a more of a confidant, but right here at the outset, tension. Not going to have no problems from me. <laughs> Connie comes in. Connie's gone downhill. Connie. Uh, yeah. Connie's having some issues. Needs to do some good therapy. Needs to have a better relationship with her kids, apparently. Mm -hmm. Or a relationship. <laughs> a, with relationship a relationship would be, yeah. would be helpful. How are you, honey? You met Merle. He was with me in Vegas. Could I have a drink or something? Ask him for money so she can go on a... Uh, Honeymoon with her, her new beau. Mm -hmm. I think he, she met him last week, something like that. Right. Sure, that sounds right. In Vegas, I yeah. think is what it was. <laughs> Merle. You remember Merle? You met him in Vegas. <laughs> Merle, you will notice that all, all the Corleone kids marrying these wasps. Yeah, we, seriously. We got Kay, Merle, and Deanna. Deanna. <laughs> yep. Speaking of Deanna, let's go outside. Let's go dancing. <laughs> Deanna, who is Frodo's, Frodo's. <laughs> no, we might keep that. Deanna, who is Fredo's wife, is now dancing with Merle. Which is, is just, like, in and of itself is a, a fantastic moment of, like, the nerd who somehow tricked Connie into marrying her, him, right. is dancing with the... Loose is loose a good word? Trophy wife is maybe a good yeah. kind of a yeah, good term to use. Yeah. They both met in Vegas. Right. Clearly. 
And to, to say they're dancing is not really the right word no. for what they are doing Correct. on the dance floor. It's quite, quite affectionate. <laughs> yes, very affectionate. Deanna is humiliating her husband in front of all of her the party guests. I just want to dance. Dancing is one thing. You're falling all over the floor. Oh, I know what's the matter with you. He was jealous because he's a real man. I swear to God, Deanna, I'm going to belt you right in the teeth. Oh, you couldn't belt your mama. <laughs> Yikes. Which is when then he like resigns. He resigns to the fact that he's just, uh, well, like, just sort of I can't do anything up. about it. He has no control in this situation. Uh, to, to which then Rocco, who is one of Michael's capo, capo regimes, goes over and <laughs> physically removes her from the dance floor. Michael says that if you can't take care of this, I have to. Maybe better. Goes over, tail between his legs to his older brother, younger his brother. His younger brother. I can't control him, Mikey. And I think this next line is one of the more important ones in the in the whole movie. And You're my brother, Fredo. You don't have to apologize to me. We need to talk about Fredo. We've had some Fredo conversations, but we've been putting Fredo on the two-three line: one who earns attention versus one who demands attention. The two is reactive, three is more aggressive, two is shuts down their own emotions, serves others, threes are going to think through problems and goals. You got you got thoughts on Fredo here? To help make this a little bit more complicated, I've also been thinking since we last recorded, I've been thinking a lot about Fredo and, and moving closer and closer to the possibility of him being a four as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't... I see him definitely as someone who is very it, it like he is concerned about what other people think about him. Like that that's the I I think at the core of him he wants other people to see him a certain way. Part of what I brought up last time is the idea of him being sort of an incompetent 3. Like like we don't see incompetent 3s very often because 3s become good at what they do so that people will pay attention to them and I I've moved off of that a little bit because I I think that I think so much about him is is him seeing himself sort of on the outside and feeling like he doesn't have any control over that, over how people see him. And there's this sort of resignation. You might even call it a, a, a melancholy of like, I, I don't fit in here. I, I can't control her. And without even trying, like we don't know what's happened in their marriage before this, but he didn't even try that hard to get her to calm down. Threatened right. violence, and she laughed at him. Yeah, and that was. I mean, that she was clearly. It. It's, yeah, yeah. And and he's so apologetic about the fact that he has failed this, but it's about it. It's not that he is a failure. It's it's that he doesn't want. He he knows that his brother is disappointed in him. That is what he's upset about. And, and to go back with Coppola talking about sort of these five characters and the their their main sort of characteristic, mm-hmm. Fredo's is vulnerability. Right. And which I, yeah, goes along with that pretty well. Mm-hmm. Of, of He's always apologetic. He's always, you know, tail tucked between his legs. Yeah. You know, lots of emotion. Yeah. I think the 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 idea of like the two-ness would come out in a much much more intentional like trying to help kind of way. 
and and so so I I see I have begun to see a lot more sort of that that for like I don't fit kind of posture about him. He's trying to find his place in this world that he doesn't fit in. I think that works. One of the things, and we'll get to it, is how does Fredo handle stress, I think is is going to be important to talk about later. Sure. And I think it's Fredo's self-understanding ends up being something that I think we'll dive into further. But I, I do think four, a little bit more likely than three, mm-hmm. and especially given this scene. Yeah. I mixed up the order, but then there's the the scene with with Frank about the Rosado brothers and all the division. And- Flamenza promised the Rosado brothers three territories in the Bronx after he died. You took over and you didn't give it to them. I welched. You welched. Yeah, Clemenza promised them Ugatas. Muscular. Actually, just to to say one last thing about this scene, there is an immigration tale being told of Vito leaving Italy and coming to New York, and another immigration tale of Michael leaving New York and going to Vegas. And a lot of the conversation with Frank is about that transition in Michael's heart mm-hmm. and leaving the past there. All the business is done. Michael's going to dance with Kay. They're going to talk about the baby. They're going to retreat to their private quarters. And then, of course, just like the first movie, there's an assassination attempt. And... As we know, this is a great thing about like what you call these like murder mysteries. They've set up a whole lot of characters who probably want Michael dead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so there's all these folks you're like, okay, it could be a handful of folks. Michael says that he wants uh, the assassins found and captured alive. That's the first Pacino line in, uh, in The sure. Godfather yeah. is him yelling, alive. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The full mouth yeah. Pacino. Yeah. They find him dead. They're apparently dead ne- next to Fredo's hut because mm-hmm. uh, Deanna's brought out screaming. Michael goes into his office and Tom comes in. Tom is trusted. And this isn't even second guessed. And I suppose it was set up with the conversation of the senator I trust these men with my life. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, Tom is. Never an object of Michael's suspicion throughout this movie. Yeah, everybody else. Michael will 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 interrogate in his way everybody in in this in this movie except for Tom. Yeah, I think that the, there's some there's some moments where it seems like the audience is supposed to be guessing, but it never shows Michael guessing about Tom. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mikey, all right? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot I can't tell you, Tom. I know that's upset you in the past. Yeah. Yeah, You felt it was because of some lack of trust or confidence. But it's it's because I admire you and I love you that I kept things secret from you. That's why at this moment you're the only one I can completely trust. That sounds very five-ish to me. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on there. I mean, it, it's it's for protection. Michael has to. Michael, as a five, has to hold a lot of things to himself. He can't put all of his eggs into. He can't spread his eggs around. He has to like they have to be distributed strategically, and like he he has to protect this this thing. And he doesn't really quite understand that the lack of sharing is the thing that breeds distrust. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on fives and keeping stuff close to the vest, even with people who are closest to you? 
I mean, as a five, um, I know that I certainly do that. Mm-hmm. Um, when when I when I watch this movie and when I watch this scene in particular, and some of the scenes you know leading up to the scene. I always think about how this is exactly how I would handle this. Mm-hmm. Nobody can have all the information. Right. I get to have all the information. Right. But if I'm ultimately in charge and and if the stakes are this high where it's I mean it's not just your business empire, it's your it's your survival and your mm-hmm. family survival. Um I'm going to keep my play my cards as close to the vest as I possibly can. Right. Or looking at it the entire uh, scenario, doling out tasks to certain people without them knowing that they might be doing something that things that are like opposing each mm-hmm. other in a way, you know what I mean? Sure. It makes sense to me why he does it this way. However, also with, with hindsight and as a viewer, it, I always feel like what would this story have looked like if Tom had been in the loop mm-hmm. the entire yeah. time? Mm-hmm. Because Tom is so loyal um, and Tom does care about the family. And I think Tom also, you know, w- one of the big themes of, of with Michael, this in this in part two is, the move to try to make his family's business empire legitimate, mm-hmm. moving away from the criminal underworld, handing that off to Pentangeli, uh, Al Neri, uh, Rocco, and maybe still having a, a small hand on in it, but but to to become legitimate, that that Tom would be on board with that. Right. This is the that that is the direction that that he should be moving in. You know, when Tom was the acting consigliere for Vito, they were powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were at the the height of their power. Right, you can almost like like the the one phrase that's missing from this dialogue is it's not personal, it's business. Right, like like he thinks that he is, and like the the act of explaining that like it's not because I don't trust you, it's because of this other thing. Right, and it's like no no, but but what you're saying is you don't trust me because you're not sharing everything with me. Right, and Michael just doesn't get that. Right, there is. I'm curious if the calculating side of Michael doesn't come out here where he says, Tom, you're my brother. I always wanted to be thought of as a brother by you, Mikey, real brother. You're going to take over. You're going to be the doubt. Is he saying that because he knows the emotional reaction that Tom's going to give? Or is it the case that he's being authentic there? I think it's I think it's a, a bit of both. I mean, I think he is authentic. He does authentically trust his brother or trust Tom, and I do think that he believes that he is or that that Tom he considers Tom to be a full brother, mm-hmm. a, a blood brother. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, he has a lot of conversations, and you know, so there's this scene, and then the scenes following where he meets with Pentangeli and he meets with Hyman Roth. And he has the way that he the the conversation the way that the conversation goes. He is clearly playing all of their emotions mm-hmm. with Pen, with Pentangeli. He comes in fiery hot, screaming about you know uh, uh, in my home and you know where my wife sleeps. Mm-hmm. And um, Pentangeli is terrified, right? Because I think he probably thinks, "Did you think that I did it?" Because right. the last conversation we had was this rather you know tense exchange. Only for them to for him to follow up and say it was Hyman Roth that did it, mm-hmm. and immediately Pentangeli his demeanor changes and he's like, you know, putting on war paint and you know we're going to war. Right. It's a great way for him to maintain that loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is to kind of shock him 
and then realize that, oh, he trusts me. He doesn't think that he knows that I didn't do it. Right. Now we're going to war. Right. And also, Hyman Roth is, uh, you know, supports the Rosario brothers, which was the entire reason for the tense exchange that they had back in Nevada. Right. With Hyman Roth, he knows that Hyman Roth did it, and he is so ingratiating and so, you know, talks to him like he's a, he's a, you know, an uncle figure or something mm-hmm. like that. And he totally kind of, you know, placates him, right? You know, right. into a false sense of security of, oh, we're going ahead. It's happening. The Cuba plan is happening. So I think that there is a level at which the, the, he's clearly cold and calculating. Mm-hmm. That is always going to be happening with all of his interactions. There's, I, I, there are a few <laughs> times in the movies where I feel like we get to see the real sort of unadulterated Michael. Mm-hmm. The scene with Kay um, mm-hmm. when she tells him that she had an abortion. Yeah, that is Michael. You know, out you know out of his head and just you know pure rage. But in those th- in those three scenes in particular, this one in, in Pentangeli and Hyman Roth, it is very obvious that he is playing with their with their yeah. emotions. Well, I, I've I've kind of like this, and this is maybe not a, a helpful part of this discussion, but I, I kind of wonder if he understands if, if Michael himself understands the difference, like mm-hmm. him, him sure. calling Tom, his brother, if Michael isn't like, I, I think there is a healthy amount of manipulation, but, but right. is he leaning into something that he does not really express very often and, and saying, this is really important to me. All of a sudden you were my brother. And he doesn't know that 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 is intentionally manipulative, right? I think it is how he is in the world. This yeah. is as we were kind of saying before with the senator conversation. There's a shift in the movie that really there's that I tried to do things Vito's way, but I'm gonna when I do things my way, things work. Everything he does is calculated for effect. Mm-hmm. Every conversation he's gonna have it is a is a card game where he's going to win right? or he has determined in his heart, I'm going to win. That's not Tom's ambition here. Tom has come in making sure that your family's okay. What can I do to serve you? How can I make things better? Um, How can I make things peaceful? See, I started with the (laughs) early misstep, severe misstep. But Michael is playing the chessboard in order, in order to dominate the game. Mm. What I think has happened has happened. I'm gonna leave here tonight. I give you complete power, Tom. Over Fredo and his men, Rocco, Neri, everyone. I'm trusting you with the lives of my wife and my children, the future of this family. Tom's gonna be done. All of a sudden, I, I rereading this opens up some of the stuff that's going on in Nevada. Apparently, isn't Michael's decision. Say killing prostitutes mm-hmm. that's i don't know that that is that michael's decision i don't know that sure seems like tom's decision given this conversation anyway we'll get there in a minute <laughs> this is where everything cuts so there's been an assassination attempt and the don ship has passed on just like in the first movie uh sunny took over here michael's taking over and Unlike the first movie, we're going to now jump back into young Vito's story. And we see young Vito at home. Someone sends him a a gift through the window. Ends up being a bag of guns. Of course, he doesn't concern himself with other people's business. 
We see him at a play. We see him at the theater. We're introduced to Don Fanucci, who is the Don over the neighborhood in which Vito lives. Apparently a very violent man. Apparently not a very attractive person. No. This is but he presents himself that way. He's always wearing yeah. that fine white suit. Yeah. yeah. With with the cape. Yeah, with the cape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm more talking about the man's inner life. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. No. Total garbage. <laughs> We see him going into the store in which Vito works. Vito is fired. Fanucci's cousin, relative. I think he's a nephew. Nephew. Nephew, yeah. Is elevated into Vito's job. I assume that Vito has been working there for quite a while because there's a father-son relationship. Yes, yeah. With the owner. The owner wants to support Vito, runs after him after Vito leaves with a big box of groceries, and this is where Vito rejects the groceries and a key moment, looks at the grocer, points to his head, and says, I will not forget it. Like, all the things that this grocer has done for for him, he won't forget it. And there's the relationships, the love, the connection as an asset that will get paid back over time. Comes home, has a pear wrapped in paper. Any thoughts on any of the movements here? I think it only reinforces sort of the the um, Vito as a strong character from his upbringing, from mm-hmm. the traumatic way that he is introduced in the movie. Of you know, he Don Fanucci comes in with his nephew. It, obviously, you can you can you know you can't hear the conversation, and it's in Italian. Uh, but you know you you know that that okay clearly Vito's he's going to lose his job, and, v, and you can kind of see it in Vito's face. And sure enough, the the grocer's name is Abandando because um, it's his son Jenko ends up becoming he's the first consigliere. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, comes over and and he before he can even say it, Vito is already saying, "Don't worry about it." Yeah, I understand. And then rejects the food that he that that he brings out, um, and, and and almost kind of scolds him in a way. If you know, he he wags his finger at him and says, "No, no, no, no," you know, and while also having that conversation of. I never forget a good deed or I never forget a favor. Mm. Um, but also the fact that, you know, in a moment of he's just lost his job, he has a wife to support, um, he is so calm and collected and goes and buys what you can would imagine would be a, probably an expensive fruit right. for his wife. I mean, just the strength of character that he has, he's completely unfazed mm-hmm. by what is a, a pretty major setback. Yep. Um, so. I also appreciate the the presentation that that Vito is fair mm-hmm. like he, he it would be really easy to get mad at the grocer in that moment very easy to to be upset that the grocer didn't fight for him it, it would be really easy to to blame other people or to like the the way that that Vito is the because he he cares about relationships like he he has such a perspective on like who is actually doing what mm-hmm. and who is pulling the levers right. it is not the grocer's fault in any way that he lost his job even though the grocer is the one that's actually responsible for making that decision right and and just this like this one little moment where where Vito compassion comes out and and like like he knows whose fault this is and he's not going to take it out on someone else 
Right. There is something to be said too for, you know, the previous scene is him at the theater with Jenko. He witnesses Jenko's girl being assaulted by mm-hmm. Don Fanucci mm-hmm. and Jenko is, well, let's just leave. Yeah. And Vito sticks around and watches more with this very like disgusted look on his face. Mm-hmm. The next scene is him losing his job to or to Fanucci's uh, nephew. And then the next scene after that is is him and Clemenza stealing that rug. Right. It almost feels like his descent, uh, or perhaps even ascent into uh, the mafia and into being a, a, crim- a criminal, is it, it, for justice. Mm-hmm. He sees this yep. man terrorizing his neighborhood, yeah. and he can do a better job of pr- of protecting the neighborhood because that's what Finucci is supposed to be doing, right? Which I think is interesting. It's a, he's it's an interesting uh, origin story for a criminal. Yep. I'm going into it for justice. Yeah. We mentioned this last time, but the idea that Vito has a self-understanding that he is the justice system for his people. Right. And he's going to know who his people are when they have the relational connection, and he makes sure that he builds that, establishes it, remembers it. Mm -hmm. But it is, what are you doing with your power? And we see him, the, the widow scene is case in point of when he's in charge, what will this look like? Right. Um, and we see it with Bonacera, I suppose, as well as uh, and all the other people that Vito is advocating for. Clemenza and the rug feels like a comedy scene, but it is kind of you're breaking and airing, stealing a rug, and lots of love there for his wife or his family. He takes the rug home, doesn't quite fit, and yet it's for his kid to play on. Right. Is this the first time we see Vito actually do crime? Yeah. And he stores the guns, but he's he's yeah. more of a an accomplice at that point. Right. This is stealing the rug is like the first time that he actually does crime. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's this this is a trope in a lot of movies, but it's it's the first hit and it's not of a drug, it's of, of an activity. Yeah. It's like I'm really good at this mm-hmm. and I didn't realize he has a, it. He has yeah. a taste for it now. Yeah. yeah. I suppose one last word on this is that Clemenza is introduced and mm-hmm. is apparently a very violent person who has no problem shooting a cop in the head yeah. if uh, while stealing a rug. Yeah. Fast forward back into uh, the present day. Michael is doing present day being the 70s mm-hmm. <laughs> or the 60s, I suppose. It's not even the 60s. No, it's, the it's the 50s. 50s. It's the 50s. Man. Okay. Fast forward back to the 50s. (laughs) Michael is doing detective work. He flies down to Hyman Roth's house. One of the things that I love about Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is they steal this from The Godfather is that all the people who are making millions of dollars all live in homes that don't look like they're owned by drug dealers. Because, of course, if you're making millions of dollars in an illicit trade, you can't spend it, which creates this horrible... Situation is not horrible. It's just it's the fruit of your labor where you have all this money, but you can't do anything with it. Hyman Roth has this very quaint Miami house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Has a conversation with Roth and where Michael is, again, clearly doing the detective work. Who was it that, that tried the assassination attempt? But trying really hard to make sure that nobody knows that he's doing the detective work. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You said uh, pandering, mm-hmm. placating earlier. Yeah. 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 Gets the information he needs. They talk about the deal that they're going to do. Um, Michael really wants some uh, casinos in Cuba. 
And if we really look underneath the surface, we know that Hyman Roth really wants to take over New York. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like the, from the outset, this is a guy that I could clearly tell was going to die soon, but thinks he's going to live forever. Mm, right. Like, like he does not have perspective on what his legacy is going to be because he thinks he is going to live forever. It's a guy playing with nothing to lose. Or is it that he just, I, I suppose Michael speaks about this at one point, doesn't he? He just, he says essentially that, yeah. that Hyman Roth is sick, but thinks he's going to yeah. live forever. Yeah. He thinks he's going to yeah. beat it. He's like, there. The, the, you see this in, in a lot of stories about kings. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't have an understanding that they are going to die. And what's going to be left is the legacy of what they did while they were alive. Hyman Roth does not get that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of octogenarians running in 2024, <laughs> <laughs> the, the goes, flies to New York, has a conversation with Pantangeli, comes in, as we said, fired up. Yeah. He's ready to go. He's ready. The, <laughs> gets Pantangeli in a spot where Pantangeli is, realizes, okay, this is a life and death decision. I need to back Michael, and that's how it's going to be. Yep. One of the things I think is real interesting is how bright the office is. You don't even realize it that it was Don Vito's office because mm-hmm. of how dark it is in that first movie. Mm-hmm. You go in there and it's like, why did they change it? It was so cool before. Right. Yeah. The decor was nice. But here it's a place of light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, Pentangeli representing the heart of Italian-Americans and the beauties that could be found there. going to get snuffed out at the end. Spoiler. Michael's trying to trying to go legit. Mm-hmm. Got to paint everything white. <laughs> He's a well, house flipper. Well, no, it's uh, Pentangeli's house, though, now. I think, or does Michael still own this house? I think I, I think Michael still owns the house. It's, oh. it's the family home. It's, it's the family home. He's not giving it up. Oh, okay. Which is why he says, I was so glad that someone from, I think he says someone from yeah. the family. Yeah, because uh, Clemenza is the one who takes over the house before Pentangeli. Right. And and like live like they they make a reference to the fact that he moved into the house. Mm-hmm. So like this house is the seat of the power. Right. In New York. It's not that it's been illuminated, it's that it's been Americanized. That's what it seemed like to me. Okay. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Fredo gets a phone call at night. Got some Fantastic black satin sheets going on there. <laughs> yeah. Fredo, this is Johnny. Johnny Ola, we need some more help. Johnny. Jesus Christ, what the hell time? Who's that, honey? Shh. Listen good, Fredo. What are you calling me here for? I don't want to talk to you. Intangibly set up a meeting with the Rosado brothers. He says he's going to go for their deal. Oh, God. I don't know anything. You got me in deep enough already. Just go along. Everything will be all right, Fredo. Pentangeli says he's willing to make the deal. All we want to know is if he's on the level or if he's going to bring his boys. You guys lied to me. I don't want you to call me anymore. Your brother's not going to find out we talked. I don't know what you're talking about. Hangs up on the man on the other line, who I assume is Johnny Ola. It's Johnny Ola, yeah. Cut back to New York, and we see a uh, Pantangeli go into the wrong bar, and doesn't want his uh, body men apparently for some well, reason. 
he goes into that bar because he's supposed to be meeting with the Rosario brothers to make peace, mm-hmm. which is what Michael told him to do. Right. Yeah. You know, he, he wants to go and, and you know, we got to hit him. He says, look, let's get them all. Let's hit them all now while we got the muscle. And he says, that is absolutely not what I want. I need this business to go through with Hyman Roth. Therefore, you need to make peace with the Rosario brothers now. Yeah. But of course, Hyman Roth knows, I think, knows that Michael's trying to kind of trying to play him. So have them kill Pentangeli. Is that why Michael says that he's going to kill Pentangeli? Is because if he's going to kill him, then Hyman Roth wouldn't. When does he say that? He says it in their first conversation. And Pentangeli is a dead man. You don't object? These small potatoes. Oh, yeah. So it's almost like he would create a buffer mm-hmm. of time if he says, yeah. look, I'm going to take care of I'm this. I'm going to take care of it, yeah. That could be interesting. But, of course, Hyman Roth then gives the order to have him assassinated, and Pentangeli survives yeah. in a very... There's there's something about like the 1920s kind of uh, comedic... Uh, mafia kind of movie where like the cop comes in as it's a little vaudevillian yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) all the gangsters run out the front door and the cop chases them with the nightstick (laughs) (laughs) cut over to las vegas and uh we see fredo's uh apparently he has a brothel is that what you call those yeah i mean look at his sheets that's what he's good at (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) And something has happened, and we cut into a room. Very graphic scene, and we said this in the last time, This where uh, there's a horse head in the bed in the first movie. There's a dead prostitute in the second, and the person who had an offer so good they couldn't refuse is going to be the senator. Yep. Gets put in a very sticky situation. And and again, the the, the stark difference between when... Vito has to gain control over someone in power versus when Michael has to gain control over someone with power. And and again, we brought up, maybe Michael's not the one who actually ordered this, but the, like they, they kill a movie director's prized horse yep. to scare the living bejesus out of him yeah. to get him to do what they want. 100% about fear. Yeah. That's not what Michael does. And and it's a way to cultivate relationship. Right. Ooh, how's that? It, it's the exact same thing as when uh, the landlord, when Vito tells the landlord to go talk to other people. Go talk to other people yeah. about who Ask I am. Ask about me around the neighborhood. Yeah. And the landlord comes back groveling. True enough. So when the the idea of like the, the way that the Vito gains control is by getting people to understand that he has power over them, not by taking control of them. Right. It, it's almost a, a getting people to give him their power as opposed to taking their power from them. I didn't think about this, but Walt's the last thing he says to Tom is, tell them that I ain't no band leader. Yeah. But apparently he is, he is just a, like the right, band leader because right. yeah. he can be pushed around in those yeah. ways. Yep. But this is different in terms of the senator. Yeah. It's not necessarily about fear. It's about real uh, political leverage. Yeah. They yeah. do something to him that that he that they now lit- like he does not have a way out of this situation. Yeah. Right. This is blackmail. You are you yeah. are bound to. Yeah. 
And yeah. and even in a way that he doesn't realize that that's what they did. Like they they take agency from him, whereas the the movie director he still could have said no, he just would have faced the consequences. They take the senator's agency away from him. Yeah. It also that scene has one of the most chilling. <laughs> Uh, uh, looks I've ever seen and it's when Neary comes out of the bathroom he kind of pokes his head out of the bathroom washing his hands because mm. he's the one that killed her oh I missed that yeah. you're exactly I, right yeah, I don't know that yeah I, yeah. There's a, so in that scene he's kind of in the doorway he's in the doorway he's standing in the doorway ah. yeah he uh, we we see the, the dead prostitute and, and Geary kind of has that moment where he's like I'll fix it I'll fix her and then loses it and Tom looks up over at the bathroom and the the door is cracked just a little bit and you just see Neary slowly kind of come over mm. into focus and he's just, he's cleaning his hands with a rag with this look on his face that, Ooh, it's, 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 he's terrifying. Yeah. He's terrifying. Thanks. But I mean, that, that's part of, you know, going back to this conversation of who ordered that, mm-hmm. that plan. I also could see in that instance, <laughs> Tom just saying something like we need to get leverage over him. And right. that and Neary just taking the right, yeah. taking the initiative. Like yeah. this is what we're gonna do. Yeah, um, like like it, this could be the it could easily be the case that that Tom said this is something we we need to take care of this situation and somebody else like it, it, is is Fredo technically responsible for this because isn't this his place? It's his, it's his establishment. No like, chance. Did Fredo like <laughs> accidentally him. screw this up? So he he definitely didn't kill the prostitute because Fredo would have lost his That's mind. I mean. But it's possible that he could have ordered it or pointed out yeah. who it should be. Fredo. Yeah, I think the Fredo is stupid is still the, <laughs> yeah. the law yeah. of thinking <laughs> about Fredo. Yeah. yeah, it could also this could be the plan that was uh, that that we we might not have seen the scene where they decided on this plan back at Lake Tahoe. Right, right. I, so here would be an argument for the Tom is nine argument can come out here in some ways. One, Tom figured out how to cut that horse's head off. That was his, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to solve the problem. And this is the way that we do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's 100% Tom. And I think it's probably the case it's 100% Tom here. And, ter- and Tom is the godfather now. And planning out how am I going to do this? I'm going to frame you. I'm going to put you in a position where you have an alibi, and your alibi is dependent on me. Putting a call into your office. Explain that you'll be there tomorrow afternoon. You decided to spend the night at Michael Corleone's house in Tahoe as his guest. I do remember that she was laughing. This girl has no family. Nobody knows that she worked here. It'll be as though she never existed. All that's left is our friendship. Mm. That is some withdrawn control. Well, yeah. and there's like it, it, leaning into the Tom is a nine argument. There's also a something to be said about the real possibility that Tom merges. He merges with Vito mm-hmm. when he uses fear as leverage. Sure, sure. He merges with Michael when he uses murder as leverage. <laughs> I like that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's totally possible. I do think the him actually getting into the space of real tension and s- 
essentially solving the problem. Mm -hmm. Here's how I'm going to move you into a better space is really part of his personality. Sure. That cuts through here. Michael arrives in Cuba, sees some uh, uh, rebellion in the streets. Mm -hmm. We have the meeting of the industrialists. It's supposed to be kind of like the meeting of the five families. Not quite as as uh, memorable, but you know, there's a gold telephone. I do like how Hyman Roth just kind of looks at it and says, "This is trash." You guys mm -hmm. are <laughs> yeah, because mm -hmm. like yeah. you know what uh, the what, what is the target for Hyman Roth? It's I'm going to be bigger than U.S. Steel. You, you guys are playing with gold telephones. Yep. yep. <laughs> Trinkets. Going to go upstairs and carve up some cake. The cake carving scene, I think, is. I mean, it's it's it may be a little over the top in terms of like I'm divvying up my empire, mm. but clearly he's not divvying up his empire because he actually wants to keep it. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he also wants people to think of him as this sort of generous kind of person. Like one of the things that's said about Hyman Roth is that like everyone who is friends with him benefits from it. Like, like everyone who does business with him makes money. Mm -hmm. That's why he's still alive. Right. It's because he always made money for his partners. Yep. Yeah. Is that a show or is that, it's both a show and it's in part pretty true. I think in part it's pretty true. I mean, from what I understand from the books, um, his character, uh, he's brilliant. He's, he's, he, he always, he's the one that's, that's, the first to do, uh, you know, some kind of new scheme, you know, before anybody else gets into it. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's clever, but he always makes money for his partners. He's, and I, I also think that like, he's not doing his partners any favors. He's making money and the people that he partners with also makes money. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a, a you know, people are going to want to do business with you. Right. If, if that's your track record, yep. it's good to keep you around. So so tenth time through this uh, movie, just all the cards on the table, it seems to me you have to get Hyman Roth's motive, which I assume is, one, it's revenge, which we're going to mm -hmm. find out mm -hmm. he cared about Mo Green. Second, it's he wants New York. The Rosario brothers are his guys. Yeah. By doing this deal with Michael, he's essentially trying to get his enemies close so that he can both kill Michael, take over New York, Get revenge from O Green, mm -hmm. and on top of that, you could get a two million dollar gift to the president to make things go better in Cuba. Exactly, yeah, because he thinks that things in Cuba are going to stick. Right, right. Which of course they're not going to. Which they don't <laughs> at all. <laughs> this is a terrible investment. But I mean, you know, by killing Michael, you know, he's not just getting New York; he's also getting Las Vegas mm -hmm. and Reno. Oh, I, I mean, about he that. is. Yeah. You know, he is in the business of empire building. Yeah. You know, he doesn't like, he is, he's, if he takes out Michael, if he takes out the Corleone family, he gets New York, but it's, it's in a way, it, you know, he's got his hand on, on the Rosario brothers. It's, it, it's going to be the Rosario family that owns right. New York, mm -hmm. but they're controlled by him, you know? Right. And it's, it would be, the, I'm sure it'd be the same thing with, with Vegas. And I would be interested too if that was the case with Mo Green. If when Mo was running Vegas, that Hyman really it was really Hyman Roth who owned Vegas, right? Oh, you sure. know, you understand, yep. yeah, yep, yep. And so there's a there's also a level at which it's it's it, there's it's revenge for Mo Green, but it's also he's taking back what's his. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's 
just uh, fairly off the cuff. I think there's there's a fair amount of eightness in in Hyman Roth mm-hmm. it, it, and and like unhealthy eight, but not in the way that like Thanos is an eight. I I think Hyman Roth wants to be the one in charge. Yeah. I think he wants to be the king. Yeah, I think I agree. Something that needs to be said there in terms of I, I think a lot of us, especially if we don't have a lot of wealth, where we think, look, if I had a hundred million dollars, I wouldn't work ever again. If I won the lottery, I'm done. Like you won't see me ever. <laughs> right. I'm gonna buy my own little island over here and you know uh, somewhere near Australia. So often in in our world, I think a lot of people in who actually who understand that wealth doesn't fill that part come to this spot where what they really want to do is they want to win at the highest mm-hmm. possible levels yeah. and none of the wealth really matters anymore. Right. I, I think the again, wealth is the means by which I yeah. get the control I want. Arguably Vladimir Putin was the richest person in the world two years ago. Like right. you've got nothing else to prove, man. He's going to cause a global recession, a global you know, bordering on famine in some areas for, for what? And it's just that empire building impulse of some of these guys. Anyway, gets, it's displayed here. Yeah. Like yeah. what else do you need? Why and you also need- this idea of legacy too, right? This is, mm. you know, the going to the, to the Putin thing. That's so much has been written about how, yeah. he, you know, he's just turned 70. He's getting older. You know, yep. there are things that he wants, he has wanted to achieve for a long time. If he's going to do it, it's going to be now. Yeah. And so while I think that there is something... And with, he might be sick, too. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's exactly the Hyman same Roth. with Hyman Roth. <laughs> yeah. Even though he, you know, there, there is this level of, I'm going to live forever. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe that is how he lives forever. Right. It's through yeah. legacy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, there's that's, a, I suppose, more of a Game of Thrones, Tywin Lannister. Well, but kind but, of but thing, even then, but, like, mm. the, there's... We see a clear line of su- succession. Like, who... Who will take over after Michael dies? Like there, right. there are people in in line. There's no one in line for Hyman Roth, Mm-mm. except for maybe Johnny Ola. But Johnny Ola isn't really a in charge guy. He's 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 a plumber. He's like he's Luca a fixer. Brazzi. Yeah, he's 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 literally his fixer. That's true. He doesn't have a successor. Yeah. Mo Green was probably was probably the guy. successor. It's, yeah. You killed my son. Yeah, that yeah. puts a whole new level of uh, weight. <laughs> To yeah. some of this, so in a way, I mean, it's as much as it's about legacy. It's also about ego, like his own sort right. of egotistical version of his legacy. Right. You know, even though he's We're dealing completely in the yeah. shadows, people aren't going to really know his name. But it, like, when he's on his deathbed after I've taken yeah. over everything, you know, I know what my legacy yeah. is, sort of no, thing. You know the name Carnegie, right? If you're bigger than U.S. Steel, it's Carnegie U.S. Steel. Carnegie was yeah, U.S. Um, Steel. It's that level of things. That's right. what Putin wants. Putin wants to sure. be no, yeah, in yeah. the same conversation as Stalin. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and how the world that's... burns, friends. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's not a... <laughs> of all the people in the course of human history that I'd want to be like, Stalin is not the one that I choose. <laughs> top, top I want to be in the conversation, yeah. <laughs> Stalin and Ivan the Terrible. Yeah. But <laughs> different values, I guess. <laughs> Well, Fredo shows up, and apparently he's been very... I mean, here's some six-ish behavior, perhaps. He's been terrified the whole time. He's got $2 million next to him. Could be. I've always thought that Fredo... That that was one of my top... I think two, three, four, six. These were were my options for Fredo. Still kind of out there. He doesn't seem as concerned about getting in trouble. 
as he, he does about what his image is. Ah, uh, is it if I lose this money, you're going to think badly of me? Yeah. So I, was, I, yeah. Could be, I like that. Well, I also think that, I mean, he seems very excited. Oh, that's true. He seems very like... I'm a player. Invigorated in a way. Yeah. And, and, and sort of this sort of like, I'm, I finally, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm given a job that there is actual weight behind. Mm. Jesus Christ, what a trip. The whole time I'm thinking, what if somebody knows what I got in here? Can you imagine that, huh? Two million dollars in the seat next to me in that plane? This is important. Yeah. If I lose this money, I'm excommunicated from the family, you know, or, or the family could fail. Mm-hmm. I finally have something that uh, is of, I have finally have a job that is of value that's not just, you know, running brothels and, you know, casino floors. Which is part of why I think the, the free thing works too. Yeah. Like he's finally, he finally has uh, the, a, the a recognition the job. The, yeah. uh, and the recognition almost from his brother. Yeah. And sure enough, in this scene, he opens up. He opens up to Michael and almost admits to having betrayed him. Right. And you can see the regret in his face right. that, he, that he has. Right. So. Well, let's talk about that scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're in the hotel room. There's some uh, setup for them going downstairs to get drinks. They sit down. Fredo says, You want to count it? What? Mikey, what the hell's going on anyway? I'm, I'm totally in the dark. The family's making an investment in Havana. This is a little gift for the president. Oh. Oh, that's great. Havana's great. It's my kind of town. Anybody I know in Havana? I don't know. Hyman Roth? Johnny Ola? No. No, I never met them. Listen, Mikey, I'm, uh, I'm kind of, uh, Kind of nervous from the trip. Uh, can I, can I get a uh, drink or something? I thought maybe we'd we'd go out together. Sometimes I think I should have married a woman like you did. Like Kay. Kids, a family. Once in my life, be more like pop. In terms of ambition, Fredo wants to be given big jobs, but what he really wants is to be like his dad. I'm not sure that he does, though. That hasn't taken root? I, I think that this is him acknowledging that he didn't make good choices. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Maybe I should have been more like Pop. Marry a good woman instead of a drunken floozy. But but he's considering. Like he he's not saying I have I have this regret that I wasn't more like Pop. He's regretting the decisions he has made, but saying, I don't know, like maybe I should have been done something different. Right. Something self revealing here from Michael. It's not easy to be a son, Fredo. Not easy. Now mama used to tease me. She'd say, uh, you don't belong to me. You were left on the doorstep by gypsies. Sometimes I think it's true. No gypsy. And here is is the thing. I mean, it's a big moment. Mikey, I was mad at you. He catches himself. Catches. Why do 
didn't we spend time like this before? And unveils how much what his deep desire is to be is to be connected to Michael, just like Tom. Mm-hmm. And Michael's just not offering that. Uh, I want to come back to something we said a, a few minutes ago about him being nervous with the with the money. I I also like in in this moment of where he almost outs himself. I think his nervousness and like asking for a drink is also because he almost outed himself. Because Michael asked him specifically, "Do you know Johnny Ola?" Mm-hmm. And he mm. said, "No, I've never heard of them." Like, I've, I, he's, I've never met them. When he was on the phone with Johnny Ola a few he minutes ago, was. yeah. wasn't he on the yeah. phone with Johnny Ola a few minutes ago? Yes, he was. And and then the next thing he says is, "I need a drink." It's not good when you're talking to Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> stub your toe there. <laughs> Gets a little bit more suspicious. You want a drink, right? Waiter! Uh, por favor. How do you say banana daiquiri? Banana daiquiri. That's it. Uno banana daiquiri. I think one of the only times I can recall Michael smiling in these two movies mm. might be this part right here, but... Sure. It's <laughs> He does smile a couple of times, but it doesn't matter. He right. smiles. Uh, the conversation with his with Vito in the garden. Oh, that's mm, true. Yeah, he smiles okay. when he's asked about his son. That's right. Yeah, he smiles. Got some comfort. They're smiling. That's it. Senator Geary is flying in from Washington tomorrow night with some people, some government people. I want you to show him a good time in the back. This goes back to the Gary com- conversation where Michael is. Seems to be relational for the first half, but then when it's Michael time, switch. We're doing business. Mm-hmm. Now we're we're playing the game. True, isn't? Special, right? Can I trust you with something? Of course, Mike. Later on in the evening, we're all invited to the presidential palace reception, bringing the new year. After it's over, then you take me home in a military car. Alone for my protection. Before I reach my hotel, I'll be assassinated. Again, rhymes. It's identical to the first movie in terms of him wanting to feel safe, but understanding that he's going to get, he might get killed by uh, McClosky and Ancelotto. Who? Roth. It was Roth who tried to kill me in my home. It was Roth all along. He acts like I'm his son, his successor. There's the word. But he thinks he's going to live forever. He wants me out. Has Michael dissected Roth correctly? It yeah. seem, seems to be correct, yeah. Right here, there's so many details in this movie, and here it's kind of played out just in a paragraph. Here's actually where all the pieces are on the chessboard. How can I help? You just go along as though you know nothing. I've already made my move. What move? I'm in Roth. I'll never see the new year. Feels like exposition half the time, but there's so much going on in terms of just the energy of the characters, in terms of Fredo really wanting just a relationship, and also Fredo coming off the carrying of the two million and just wanting to be important. Mm-hmm. Important and useful and part of the family and... 
And like that, that moment of, of how can I help is like, clearly you have a plan. What's my part in it? How, and on the four side, I think four might, if they got to the spot where they were saying, Mikey, I was mad at you. Take a lot of self-restraint for a four to turn that spigot off. Because the next thing that he would say is, I'm the one who ratted you out. I and think that's correct. I could very easily see a four not wanting to give up that information. I Well, I could see anyone not wanting to give up that information. But I think that I was mad at you, so I try, so I gave information to these guys. That's one thing he could say. I was mad at you, and let me count the 15 ways that you've been terrible to me and how I felt about that. Could be another thing that he said in that moment. Which he did. Why didn't we spend time like this before? I mean, that that gets shut off pretty quick, though. I, only because Michael distracts him. Maybe not only, but... But, like, that, that sense of acknowledging my real... Tr- like, acknowledging the real hurt. But... I, I can't give up too much about that hurt because if I do, then I'm going to be in real big trouble. Yeah. And you'll see how that plays with two. It's real easy to shut down. Here's where you've hurt me until you go into stress. And we'll see that in a scene in the future with when they're in the boat house and he'll be yelling at him about. Yeah. I think how we interpret the scene in the boathouse, uh, the I'm smart scene, will be real interesting on these fronts because yeah. on a four, it's going to anger materializes a certain way. And for twos, going to eight is going to materialize a different way. Yep. That'll be interesting. Agreed. All right. Anything else about banana daiquiris? I, I love that it's a banana daiquiri. <laughs> like, they, like of all the drinks he could choose. And granted, they're in Havana. Fredo's, you know, Fredo. And also it's this... It's the 70s, but pitching the 50s. Yep. So maybe banana daiquiri was a bigger <laughs> deal then, but like right. banana daiquiri, really? You picked a banana daiquiri. Oof. Yeah. It's unique on the forefront. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to uh, the scene with Roth, Johnny Ola, and Michael. Roth is having his blood pressure taken, correct? Mm-hmm. It's again kind of showing this guy's maybe not doing so well. Michael brings up the fact that he didn't order the hit on Frankie. Who had Frank Pantangeli killed? And that opens up a door. And everybody in the room knows that everybody... I know that you know that I know that you know that I know that you know mm-hmm. that I was the one who... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such brilliant screenwriting here in terms of how... Uh, Roth is going to play this. Let me tell you a story, <laughs> you know, about a guy. There was this kid I grew up with. He was younger than me. Sort of looked up to me, you know. We did our first work together. Worked our way out of the street. Things were good. We made the most of it. During Prohibition, we ran molasses into Canada. Made a fortune. Your father, too. As much as anyone, I loved him and trusted him. Later on, he had an idea to build a city, 
out of a desert stopover for GIs on the way to the West Coast. That kid's name was Mo Green. And the city he invented was Las Vegas. This was a great man. Man of vision and guts. And there isn't even a plaque or a signpost or a statue of him in that town. Someone put a bullet through his eye. No one knows who gave the order. When I heard it, I wasn't angry. I knew Mo, I knew he was headstrong, talking loud, saying stupid things. So when he turned up dead, I let it go. And I said to myself, this is the business we've chosen. I didn't ask who gave the order because it had nothing to do with business. Michael is the young cub. Uh, I mean, he's the young lion here. He's not a cub. But the old lion is certainly in the room. Mm -hmm. And the young lion says, who gave the order? And the old lion says... I never asked that question with Mo Green. Yeah. That line of, I loved this this kid. That kid's name was Mo Green, and I loved him. And I never asked who put out the order. Yeah. Who ordered the hit? Because it had nothing to do with business. This level of like, <laughs> he knows that it, that it was Michael. He knows that Michael killed... Mo Green. Mm -hmm. So how dare you have the audacity to ask me, even though you know that it was me, how dare you have the audacity to do that to me when I never retell, I never asked you about it. It's because like, you're not, you're, this is not business. Is it not? It's uh, how dare you ask not only who put the hit on Frankie five angels, but also who, who put the hit on you and your wife. Mm -hmm. It's right. both. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 another great opportunity to showcase that like Vito was the only person who understood that it's all personal. There is no separating personal from business yeah. in this business of family yeah. business. And of yeah. and of course, as we said last time, <laughs> all of this stuff is it's personal. All personal. It's all business, and it's all personal. And it's showcasing how wrecked your inner life is when you get to the spot where you say it's, it's only business. Yeah. Because of course it's not. Yeah. And, and even if, even if the only reason that he's getting revenge over Mo is because of the business that was taken from him, that's still like, it's still not just business because that's how business works. Someone else took your business because they did something better than you. That's how business works. Mm -hmm. Getting revenge over it, that's personal. There is no yep. separation between personal and business in this line of work. And Vito's the only one who understood that. The actor here, by the way, is arguably the best actor coach of the 20th century, apparently. Like if you see his log of students, the guy who plays oh, the, Hyman Roth mm -hmm. is apparently just the man. He's great in this film. I would take acting classes from him. <laughs> Al Pacino recruited him nice. for the role. Wow. It's one of the few, few roles that he's apparently performed. Well, uh, y'all want to go to a strip club? Uh, I feel like it's a bit more than a strip <laughs> <Yeah>. club. <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit more there. What do, you, what do you call these? 
I'm not I'm not familiar with the lingo on this front. <laughs> I am not either, but I would call this just this side of a donkey show. <laughs> Should avoid those kids. But apparently there's somebody who's really excited about it, and that would be one Fredo. Fredo. Unique among men, except for the <laughs> senator. The senator's really into it also, apparently. It might also be the case that we're unique among men. That could be it. Yeah. Especially yeah, men in the 70s slash 50s. They did have a crowd. Yeah, there's no internet for this sort of stuff mm-hmm. back then. Um. <laughs> 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 well, of course, Fredo in comfort starts uh, oversharing. Just He is just in his element. Johnny Alda told me about this place. He brought me here. I didn't believe it, but seeing is believing, huh? I see it, and I still don't believe it. 50 bucks, Pat. Old man Roth had never come here, but old Johnny knows these places like the back of his hand. By the way, who does uh, Fredo not know and is in uh, Cuba? Johnny Ola. Uh-huh. He never met him. Or Hyman Roth. Or Hyman Roth. These, these two names were both pitched to Fredo early on. Michael, it's... All right, so sometimes you're getting fucked, and it's shown in front of you, and you realize it in your heart, and you got to (laughs) leave. I assume that's what Coppola's going for in terms of Michael's understanding and the visuals that are at hand, and then Michael turns, sees his guy, and then they leave. And it's go time. Yep. Like at, all the dominoes get pushed right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Johnny Ola gets assassinated. Hyman Roth has an assassination attempt. And uh, Michael's guy goes down. Mm-hmm. By the way, not suspicious at all to wear a black turtleneck in Cuba, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's totally true. <laughs> it's 102 degrees. What is that guy doing? He is always wearing a turtleneck, <laughs> that turtleneck. <laughs> You know who that guy is. With the fedora sli- ever so slightly tipped to the yeah. side. Yep. Go to a New Year's Eve party. Nobody shoots a big grand scene with over 100 people better than Coppola. Yeah. Michael and Fredo on the dance floor. Kisses him. The Fredo kiss. The kiss of death. Yeah. Which apparently is a real thing. That is part of Italian or Sicilian mafia culture is... It it's would, a yeah. Uh, it's a tie back to Judas. Yeah, it's a yeah. New Testament. Yeah, image. Judas betrays Jesus by selling him to selling his whereabouts to the um, to the priests, and basically says, "You'll know which one he is because I'll go up and kiss him." Right, right. And so Judas comes up and kisses Jesus, and that's the guy they arrest him. Take him away. There's a plane waiting for us to take us to Miami in an hour. All right. Don't make a big thing about it. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. Not one time has Michael said, I want to be divorced from you, separated from you. It's always we're in this together. I will forgive you no matter what you do over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And even here, and we'll see it in a minute when Fredo runs away and Michael is yelling at him, you know, that he will forgive him. Michael hasn't totally turned him over, you know, to the abyss. 
Mm-hmm. I love the portrayal of, of Michael as someone who doesn't understand his, his emotional affect. And, and like he, it, we've, we've said this over and over again that, that he's trying to be like Vito and he's trying to play Vito's plays. And, and so much of what he's doing is like, it, it's for the family. Like the, this is a big part of his relationship with Connie is that, that he's, he's taking care of Connie. Why doesn't Connie understand how, what he's done to take care of her? And he's, he's divorced from the fact that he, the first thing he did for Connie was to murder her husband and the father of her children. Mm-hmm. Like he does not understand how relationships actually work, and so in, even in the midst of this, in in learning that Fredo's the one who betrayed him, and and all of the things that, all of the ways that he communicates with Fredo, in, particularly in this film, is that nothing can, n- n- there is nothing that you can do that will change the fact that you're my brother and I'm going to take care of you, but that is not the only thing that exists in relationship. Mm-hmm. And and there's clearly there's things that can cause rift in their relationship, but Michael doesn't understand that like relationship and taking care of are not the same thing. Worth bringing up that there's a difference between Carlo, Michael's brother-in-law, killing his brother. What do you do when your brother-in-law kills your brother? That becomes a, a real problem like yeah. i suppose it's the case now that i say i probably wouldn't kill the guy like that's, <laughs> but if you're in this world and this is how business right. gets done business so it's not personal tj it's only business it's always bold <laughs> and fredo who is stupid and michael knows he's stupid because he said so to tom earlier in the movie right and fredo essentially I assume, so this is actually worth pausing on. What did Fredo do? Like, what did Fredo intentionally do to Michael? But it's not clear. They don't show you what Fredo right, did. Right, it, it. My assumption is that Fredo told Johnny Ola where, like, how to get onto the compound at, yep. at, Tahoe, at Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Like, Fredo basically did... The, the same thing that Judas did. I'll, I'll tell you where to find him. Yeah. That's right. Somebody had to open the curtains. Yeah. Which is a thing. Somebody had to probably identify the room mm-hmm. because the folks who were firing into Michael's room needed to take position where they were undercover because there's guards everywhere. But, but we don't even know for sure that, that Fredo knows that... Like it is entirely possible that Fredo didn't know that 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 Olo was going to try and kill him. I think that's correct. Yeah, and he says so in the phone call. The phone call yeah. that he gets. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You never told me about X, Y, yeah. and Z. Yeah, apparently in the draft or in a in the book, perhaps that I think Fredo knows that they want to kidnap Michael. Is I think that sure. I can see that. However, however it plays out, Fredo wants power. Mm-hmm. And Fredo wants to be important. Michael is the obstacle, yeah? All stories are about a character that wants something and overcome an obstacle to get what they desire. And Michael's the obstacle. But he doesn't think that they're going to kill Michael. Right. Right. 
But he's stupid enough to believe that. He's stupid enough to believe that. Yeah. That they wouldn't kill him. Franco is that prince who just wants to sit on the throne but has absolutely no capacity for that kind of job. Is that what he actually wants, though? Or does he want the respect of the people who are in charge? Like, does does he want Michael out of the way, or he's or or is he drawn to Johnny Ola and Hyman Roth because they pretend like they care about him, which is what he's not getting from Michael. It's the only thing he's not getting from Michael. I th- I assume that Roth and Ola promise him some sort of power, and I think you're right. I think they manipulate him and say. You have what it takes, kid. Right. Well, and, and we'll get to this, but I mean, there is when when they do have that conversation in the boathouse. Uh, he says, you know, they said there was something in it for me. Yeah. Mm. Like just with this very, how do you not understand that? Yeah, that's the craving. This is, and this goes to Fredo's type. He's always subservient to the wishes of somebody in his family. Mm-hmm. Go do this, go do that. Right. And so somewhere in there, is the I want something that is my own. And I can never do it purely through the Corleone family. So long as Michael is in charge, yep. I will always be in this role. He even kind of had it under Mo Green. Mm-hmm. Was he happy under Mo Green? I, I don't know. It's unclear. It's un- I, mean, I think it's unclear. He was banging cocktail reaches <laughs> two at a time. I mean, but, but that's he it. loved that job. That could be yeah. entire... That, the, he, in that position, he could have been in the exact same position he was under Michael. I, I think with Michael, it, it reaches a, a, a pitch because Michael is his brother. Yeah, and his I agree. little brother at that. Yeah. yeah, it's that I was stepped over, which we'll, right. we'll get to all that, I suppose. All right, well, pin, pin in that. Whole Cuban government falls in the middle of this movie. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Like watching this the first time, it's like, oh. I see. You know, it's a... Uh, there goes the $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad investment. That's a bad investment. <laughs> Lasted all of 24 hours. <laughs> We're going to see Castro coming to power. Michael flies home to an empty home, finds Tom. They have a conversation. And this is an import- another important scene in terms of typing people. Michael comes in. Okay, no one back. What about my boy? Did you get him something for Christmas? I took care of it. What was it so I know? Well, it was a little uh, car with an electric motor that they can ride in. It's nice. That that sp- specific moment is is another good perspective on Michael's disconnect from his own emotional center. Yeah, he's like, out, outsourcing. Like, he, he's outsourcing, like... Like, what did you give my son for Christmas from me? You need to tell me that so that I know if it comes up. So that if it comes up between me and him, I already knew about this gift that I allegedly gave him. Right. When clearly I had no connection to it whatsoever. Very interesting. Contrasted by a heartbreaking scene at the end where Fredo is sitting on the dock with... Anthony, mm-hmm. who's Michael's child, mm-hmm. and teaching him how to fish. Yep. And two different 
fathers. Yeah. There's one way you have a relationship with your son, and there's one way you outsource your relationship with your son to other people. Yep. Yeah, and you'll notice the cognitive there. Yep. What was it so I know? Mm-hmm. Where's my brother? Uh, Roth got out in a private boat. He's in the hospital in Miami. Uh, had a stroke and recovered okay. Your bodyguard's dead. I asked about Fredo. What does it tell you about Tom that he changes the subject hard right here? That he's uh, trying to change the subject? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to move on to a different point? Sometimes your brothers are fighting. How does a six deal with two brothers that are fighting? Yeah, I could see this one going six or nine. I've, you will notice that there was no answer there, Kieran. There's, there's not. Like it, it's a, the, I, I don't have a specific. I, I can't think of like something different to say about how a six would respond to this, but I could see a six doing the exact same thing. Okay. In this scenario, the nine materializes a lot for me in Tom's character in the second movie, mm-hmm. and maybe like scenes like this routinely just it's it. The, the fact that he's sort of withholding the 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 answer to the question that he knows is going to stir the pot. This is absolutely avoiding conflict. Yeah. Uh, I think he got out. He must be somewhere in New York. Does Tom know that where Fredo is? It's not. Yeah, not, we not no never idea. Sp- yeah. All right. I want you to get in touch with him. I know he's scared. Tell him everything's all right. Tell him. Uh, I know Roth must let him. They didn't know they were going to try to kill me. Just again, I think tripling down, Michael, over and again, I will forgive you. Everything's going to be all right. He is, up until this point, at least with Fredo, has Michael done anything wrong by Fredo? Depends on your perspective. Yeah. If you're, if from the perspective of Michael, absolutely not. From the perspective of other people that, that see the world the way Michael does. He he's done everything he can to protect Fredo and, and give him responsibility and, and a place in the family and the, and the organization and blah, blah, blah. From the perspective of Fredo, all Fredo wants is a relationship with Michael. And that's not something Michael has to offer. That's it. Right. It, it, is Fre- is Michael capable of that relationship? I don't think so. No. Is there, there's a Greek tragedy element to this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, the, Michael is offering what he has to offer, and he doesn't understand that that's different from a r- real relationship. Yeah. Tom wants a relationship. Fredo wants a relationship. Kay wants a relationship. Ah. Uh, yeah. Connie never says it, but it sh- you can see what Michael is offering through Connie. It's, I'm going to protect you. Mm-hmm. I will provide for you. Yeah. I don't know what else you want. I will provide for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Connie uh, represents the opposite side without the nuance of Fredo and Tom. Like, because Connie flies so far in the other direction that, that, like, she doesn't want a relationship. He thinks that what he's offering her is relationship, and that's not what she wants. That is what Fredo wants. That is what Tom wants, I think, at least to some degree. Connie does not want that with him. Right. And the fact that she won't accept his offering of relationship is an affront to him. Never thought of Connie as a drug addict, but that's what she yeah. she's in that spot. Yep. Tom says there was something else. Come on. 
What? Come on, what? Kay had a miscarriage. She lost the baby. Was it a boy? Mikey, after three and a half months... Now, can't you give me a straight answer anymore? Was it a boy? I really don't know. Two big things going on here. One, Tom is in control of that whole compound. And two, Tom is, again, sidestepping the question, which I think is important. Or refusing to give a definitive answer to a question that he doesn't actually know the answer to. Kay knows it's a boy. But does Tom? Like, it's also the case, like... I, I'm not interested in discounting the reality of when this really happens, but like there is that idea of like, like does Kay know it's a boy or was it her mother's intuition that it was a boy? Or does right. she really want to want to hurt him? Hurt him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so like, like at three and a half months, I, I have, I have a child, but I don't know enough about the science of, of the children. Like can, can, could they actually tell in the seventies slash fifties, what what sex this child was going to come out as at three and a half months. Do we know? And is if, if Kay knew, did she know or did she quote unquote know because she had a feeling, you know, there's lots of women who are like, Oh, I'm sure it's this. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's that true or is that cause you feel that way? We're not going to tackle the case in, in depth. <laughs> My my intuition is that the author really wants you to know that Kay knew that it was a son, and she's had been holding this card because there's very few ways that she knows that she can fire some bullets at a person sure. that she really wants to to hurt. Yeah, and I think going back to to the uh, Tom, what does he know? Mm-hmm. It's important to remember that he is the acting Don at this point, right? Which means that he is in control of security. Yeah. Um, and there's no way that he's going to send, you know, they're in the middle of, you know, a war. There's no way that, that Kay, I mean, that Kay could get herself to a, what would at the time be a clandestine abortion clinic without having security or having somebody, you know, she's not going to a, a, a doctor's office to have this procedure done or at least, well, maybe she has, she could, she could. Well, but could she, she also could have done it at home. I, sp- I suppose that's true. This is that was a thing. Yeah, I, I think the big point is Tom is culpable for the abortion. Yeah, yeah. What is the extent of his knowledge with this? And of course, it's not made clear. But also, him being the acting Don, he has a tremendous amount of of, of hold over everything that is happening in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, did he know? There's an assassination attempt that begins this. There's no chance that the doctor involved isn't intricately trusted with the wife of his brother. And then what is it that Tom, who has showcased the highest level of legal embodiment, you know, how many details is he going to want to know to be to do his job. I think right. it's going to be Well, but high. especially bringing up that point, like when in the first movie, when, when Kay brings him a letter 
uh, that mm-hmm. she wants him to send to Michael. Case, He's, case he literally says, I cannot accept that letter because they can prove, they can show, they can use my taking it to show that I know where Michael is. I know where Michael is, but they can't prove that. Right. right? And so in the same way, it's entirely possible that he divorced himself from the actual information, knowing that he didn't want, he did not want to know what was on the other side of that door. What's happening. So that he would not be culpable for what happened on the other side of that door. It's entirely possible that he intentionally removed himself from the possibility of knowing that she had an abortion and what sex it was. All right. That's a great argument. (laughs) (laughs) Let me, let me spell out the arguments real quick. One, if it's the case that Coppola is rhyming the two movies, I think that really works that this actually is the K scene and that there's something there in terms of, I have my hands off by the way, the stepping away the withdrawing in order to make sure that, you know, you have oversight over the things that you know matter and setting everything else away and even discounting them. Yeah, all of the scary stuff is over here and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look over I there so that I don't think that's scary even know stuff. It. Well, is it scary stuff or well, is it a control issue? Scary is a scary is probably the wrong word to use in the yeah. midst of this debate. <laughs> But all the, of, all of the troublesome stuff yeah. is over there and I'm not going to look at it so that I don't know what it looks like. I think that that would be the, 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 so we're making the distinction between six and nine. I hope you all follow when TJ and I are throwing jabs <laughs> at each other. Whether or not this is a place of, you know, of self doubt or whether it's a place of, I want to, well, I mean, it's really problem solving. Does Tom solve problems emotionally I want you to have the same emotional reaction as I do, or does Tom spin things positive? I would want to argue that this is more of a positive spin sort of thing in terms of the tendency of nines to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look over here in terms of your argument yeah. if these are mirrors to the first movie. I think, I, I think that has an easier time of standing on its own. Uh, I, I, I could see this being a... Um, knowing that the person in charge is going to be angry at the answer to this question, mm-hmm. I intentionally didn't learn the answer so that I wouldn't be the one who gets in trouble for it. That would be a, that would be a six way yeah. of coming to it. Yeah. But I, I also think that, that that would be a more sort of childish response. Not childish is probably the wrong word, but immature. Less mature. Yeah. And, and I think Tom displays himself as a very mature person yep. throughout the whole story. It's a good call. So I, I, that would be, to me, that would be a retreat in character for Tom. If, if he was, if it was a six move, if it was a, if it was a nine move, it's well within normalcy. If it's a six move, it's sort of a retreat in his maturity. Unfortunately. So the listener will understand that TJ routinely gets me in these spaces where he can always say, you know, that the stress move of the type I'm arguing for is X. So arguing for the nine, I can always incorporate some six. (laughs) It's true. This is not a secure situation for Tom. No, it absolutely is not. So I got both plays as it were (laughs) for the nine and the six. Yeah. You might win on this one. Which is fine. Just mark that down. 
as as a first. Oh, it's not the first. I mean, it's just very rare. (laughs) I mean, back in the day when we were talking about, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of anything that I've actually won in our in our diving debates. You won a couple, at least one. Yeah, (laughs) we haven't even brought up the new Thor yet, but let the listener understand that Jeff lost. Um, See there, that's fine. Giving you some stuff there. Let's the conversation move forward. Last word on this scene is the idea that's pulled in from the first of succession because Michael really wants Mm -hmm. a successor and sees it in his children. I don't know why Anthony isn't clearly an option. So I have two things I want to say about that idea of like, like why is Michael so concerned about having a son? The first is when Michael is describing Anthony to Vito, uh, in, in part one, the way that he's describing him is almost as though Anthony is actually going to be the thing that they envision Michael to be the one, the, the, the one pulling the strings, the Senator or president or whatever, like oh, Anthony is going to be the clean one who takes over the legitimate. Yep. And which means there has to be someone to take over the illegitimate yep. side. Right. Yep with that idea on the table, I would also say that th- this is a representation of the sexist patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. More than anything else. I th- Men have to have sons. I suppose Godfather three goes into a different kind of line there. Yeah. With a daughter, but yeah, th- I hadn't thought about how succession isn't simply about who will take over my kingdom for veto. And this shows Vito's quality succession is actually about I want you to take this and I want you to take this and I want you to take this Mm -hmm. and I'm making sure that all of my children take very important spaces that I'm leaving to them. Yeah. Yeah. And ones that they're all suited for as well. Sonny was clearly going to be the head of the crime family. Fredo was clearly going to be the one that they sent off to (laughs) Vegas. Yeah. And and Michael was the clean one. Fredo's building the future in some ways. I don't know if I, I know that Vito thinks that gambling is a worthy business that's forbidden mm-hmm. by the church, but that's gonna be our future, isn't that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So all of them have their place. Sonny is killed, it blows everything up. Yep. And now we're in trouble. Yep. Mm-hmm. Boom. Flashback. We see Fredo with pneumonia. Is Fredo dumb because he's sick in this scene? I don't. I don't know. I I couldn't answer that. I think it is a. It's a. A great way for to to introduce Fredo as a kid, with him crying, mm-hmm. like he's like he, he born into vulnerability almost. Yeah. You know, um, and the one that needs to be taken care of has to be taken care of. Yeah, that that was the. That was the point, the line that I saw there is that, that Fredo's the one that's going to need a little extra attention. Right, right. We get to see Vito out there. Vito has found a new job. He's now driving trucks. Finucci comes, sits with him, establishes that he knows who Vito is. He knows that things are moving, wants to make sure that the lines are drawn. This is my neighborhood, and you're going to give me a cut. Vito goes back, and we have the great scene with him and Clemenza and what's Tess- the other? Tessio. And yeah. it, it, oh, it is Tessio. It's Tessio, yep. Vito is taking the pressure on himself. 
this is going to be the place of leverage. It's identical to Michael in the first movie. I'm going to go kill McClotsky and uh, Salazzo. Here, Vito's going to go. He's going to meet with the Don, and he's going to make sure that everything is taken care of. I see I see this very differently. Oh. I, I saw this very differently. I, um, because it, the, the point of... Michael meeting with Salato and McCluskey was to murder them. I think Vito is trying to figure out who Finucci is. Okay. Yeah. Because in, in every, in every situation, every time Vito is given the opportunity to get, to offer people an option, he gives them a reasonable option. And if they don't take the reasonable option, yep. then he gives them an offer they can't refuse. Hundred bucks under the hat is a reasonable option. And 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 he's trying to feel out Finucci. He's trying to figure out is this person someone who will recognize the potential here? Is this is this someone who I can actually work with? Or and or are we just gonna shut this down? What you think about that? I think that's totally uh, reasonable. Um, I think uh, this is where the veto playbook starts, mm-hmm. um, in particular with Clemenza and Tessio. I mean, he literally says to them, you know, he says, "I'm going to get him to come down. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get Finucci to take less." Yeah. And Clemenza is, you know, uh, you know, baffled by it. And you know, how how is that even possible? And he's like, you know. I'll take care of it. He says in English, I'll take care of everything, mm-hmm. but don't ever forget that I did this favor yeah. for you. I mean, he's really, I mean, it's a power move. He's, yeah. he is establishing himself, like, you know, we're three friends who are, you know, pulling small time jobs. This is the moment. This where is the moment ahead. where I am the leader. Yeah. And. And gaining that, trust. Yeah. And respect. Yeah. Clearly. Cause I mean, and, and clearly, uh, Clem, uh, Clemenza is terrified. Of Finucci, right? I mean, he he says flat out, if if Finucci says that we need to pay him this amount, we we're gonna do it. There is no other option. And Tessio, I think, backs him up on that as well. Maybe not as as uh, severely. He's you know, but um, I also could see it being the case that Vito is going and and, and making a reasonable offer. Here's a hundred dollars mm-hmm. instead of three hundred dollars, right? Because I think, yeah, what he wants $100 from each of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're just going to give you $100 flat. And also, you're already rich, and this is a ridiculous amount of money to ask from poor people that you're offering protection to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And But I could see it being, because obviously he, he gets them to take the money, mm-hmm. but then he immediately runs across rooftops to a gun that he has stashed with the towel. I mean, yep. he is ready to go. Right. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, it could be a, a a thing where, you know, I I could see it being something where he has, he is going to go find out who this man is. Mm-hmm. Is this somebody that is worth doing business with? But I already, but I have Plan B, ready to go. Yeah, um, it's ready. Or I mean, also going back to one of our earlier discussions, you know, he witnesses some of the first scenes that we have with Vito, at least with Robert De Niro's Vito, is him seeing Jenko's girlfriend assaulted and abused. And then immediately after him getting fired, 
because Finucci is insisting that that his nephew is uh, is you know needs to work at the at the grocery store. Right. So going back to that, it all it's there still feels like that a level of I want justice for for my neighborhood. Yeah. In a way, I could see it being either way. And Vito's smart. He's he's you know uh, there's that there's that line with uh, um, in the earlier with uh, uh, Tom where he says one of the most valuable things that I learned from Pop was you always need to think how you, everybody around you is thinking. Mm-hmm. You need to understand your enemies. Yeah. And so he could. I mean, that's part of it. it. You know, maybe he's going there to. I need to understand you. Yeah. Maybe I can work with you. Yeah. But that's good. True with uh, Salazzo as well in the first movie. Exactly. I'm going to meet you and figure out who you are. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm, he, I'm getting he the measure. He knew that he was going to say no to Salazzo before their meeting happened, but he yeah. still agreed to a face to face. Yeah. Vito rubs the kiss off of his cheek, which I think is tasteful and again a mirror of him. Kind of. <laughs> But all of us are flicking our cheeks <laughs> in a uh, Brando style. Rubs the kiss off his cheek. And then, as was said, there's an assassination. One of the things I think is super tastefully done, one, it's every murder needs some detail that's unique. And here it is, the towel set on fire. Mm-hmm. Three shots. Shoots Salazzo once in the head, shoots McCletsky twice. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like that rhyme as uh and now he has entered and also as uh the five families uh what is it the the night of fire the baptism of fire uh well uh, when all of the heads of the five families as well as mo green are killed it's during a baptism here the don is killed during communion in the in that yeah in that big festival so I really appreciate the spirituality of Coppola in pairing very emotional moments with this these religious icons. It just, it brings it brings depth mm-hmm. to to the scene, it, and it's done in a way. I don't know that a lot of movies, if other movies did it, it would be you know just copying things that Coppola was doing. Right. But here, it's like, man, you're just hitting really core emotional moments for for human beings you know bringing in these these images that are so you know soul level and for coppola i I don't know if you all feel this way but like seeing the parade it feels like these are images out of coppola's past when he's like six Mm. or seven he sees those like puppet jesus in the parade and they're just imprinted on his psyche. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's putting those into the film right. yeah. in ways that I, I just feel that like, that's not my culture, but, uh, but I, I can know what it feels like to be a seven year old who has those sorts of things, mm-hmm. right. you know, rise up. Well, and the, there's, there's also something to be said about the, um, the, the imagery the to me, what really stands out about these these two scenes and and the way that they're they're composed, Michael becoming the dawn with within the the set of his nephew's baptism, and and like taking the taking out of the four families and and Mo Green and and Vito becoming the dawn within this space of communion, the baptism 
literally has the priest asking Michael if he renounces Satan. And he knows what's happening at his orders outside of the building. Right. And he's renouncing Satan while people are committing murder for him. While, and at the same, and, and for Vito, Vito is actually doing the one thing that nobody else has been able to do in order to protect other people while communion is happening. Yeah. The difference of those spiritual images, like yeah. the, the spiritual images there are very, the, the way these shots are composed is, is, is beautiful and interesting and, and brings like, like you said, this sort of soul depth, but it also, it draws attention to like how bad Michael actually is and how, good veto is underneath his stuff i think that's a uh, if you're gonna spin things positive for veto and say that veto is a hero in this story yeah, and which yeah i i'll i'll do that all day long and i think that is what the director wants so i took it as a dark christian image that he is tasting you know blood and you know flesh for the first time mm. and it's a movement into a new way of being your first communion. Now you're part of the family. Yeah. I mean, that is what communion is. Right. And, and you take that Christian image of, I take the, the blood and the uh, body of Christ. And now I'm part of the church. I take the, the blood and flesh of this person. And now I'm part of the mafia. Mm. I I think that's there too. But I I think that's definitely like the, just like communion, there's multiple ways to yeah. see this and there's multiple meanings imbued in it. Um, but that was, that was the part that like the, the difference between Michael renouncing Satan while people are committing murder Agreed. and Vito himself committing murder, mm-hmm. but it's, for the purpose of protection yeah. and justice, which you talked about earlier, Kieran. And yeah. Like that, like this, this is a hero moment for Vito. Yeah. And that is establishing the two forms of being the Don yep. is Vito's going to be this new system of justice, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of, it can be a vigilante kind of justice. Yeah. But Michael, it's going to be about power and I'm in control. Right. Even when I'm isolated, even when it's one of my family members that is going to get killed. Mm. Yeah. Do good movies have multiple layers? I don't know this. Yes. <laughs> I think so. Good movies must have multiple layers. To build on this, the first thing that Vito does, coming down from the rooftops, is goes to his family, picks up a baby. You know what he says to him, Kieran? Your father loves you very much, Michael. Isn't that something like that? That's exactly what it says. Michael. Unfortunately, it cuts to intermission. But if you just skip through the intermission real fast, the next scene is Michael going home and nobody loves him. Yeah. Mm. Nobody's in the house. Yeah. Yeah. He's completely loveless. Bad place to put the intermission, I think, Copeland. (laughs) This is a perfect movie except for the fact that you put the intermission right there. (laughs) Maybe it was the only place for it. Maybe that was the place where 
uh, when you were printed to VHS, it automatically <laughs> I got yeah. shipped the tapes. <laughs> 70s was VHS around? No, VHS wasn't in the 70s. Yep. Yeah. You'd see it in theater. Yeah. It is the two hour mark. You got to pee at this point. Right. There's only an hour left, though. We see then a scene that comes out of nowhere, it seems. And all of a sudden, we're in the U.S. Senate, and there's a hearing, and there's people that we've seen who are assassins, and they're testifying in public about the operations of the Corleone family. Yeah, I feel like this is a misstep on, like, the, the one misstep that happens from Coppola is like, how, what? How did we get here? We're, <laughs> what? Yeah. All, like, there's no lead-in to trials. I suppose if you're bigger than U.S. Steel, you're going to have some government oversight, but the, but which this, makes sense. But they could have mentioned it before. This, def, this is this is the pacing problem that I was yeah. talking about earlier. Oh, with the it's, Senate, it's it's really it's the Senate trial ah. that is. I mean, I think it's it's necessary and it's compelling. Mm-hmm. But the just how quickly it goes it from one to another. Nowhere. Yeah. Um, you know, you know that Frankie, uh, Frankie Five Angels, Pantangeli. You know that he survives. Mm-hmm. You don't know that he's flipped. Right. You have no idea that he's flipped. Motive is there, though. For sure. They, they tell him that Michael Corleone, for no reason, exactly. he's going to die, and they're still telling him that Michael Corleone is the... Michael Corleone <laughs> says hello. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was this was the, the, the one mistake mm-hmm. in, in this film, was this jump. Yeah. This catastrophic jump. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. And it's entirely possible that they got they got to the cutting room and was like, oh, this movie is five hours long. We got to cut it. <laughs> we need, we, to, get, we need yeah. to cut it down. Well, we're moving in a very different direction because Michael is now the target. And yeah. there's two things. The, the whole system, the American system is now targeting him. And he has nobody who's his family anymore. And he goes to his mom, has the conversation with his mom. Yeah. Who says you can never lose your family. Has Michael lost his family? At at this point, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pushes I, to the last scene with Sonny saying, it's all about blood. You remember that. Yeah. And Michael and didn't remember that, apparently. Not, yeah. I, I, and I feel like the, the argument that I've been making this, this whole time is that Michael never really had his family. Yeah. Ooh. He just doesn't know that. I, I think that's I think that's true. Michael has always disconnected himself from his family, and he just he doesn't realize that he is not at all cultivated relationships. Right. That's worth talking about. The one place where Michael does really cultivate r- relationships is when he goes to Italy in the first movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is behind Kay's back. Sure. Like, he leaves Kay and says, I have no idea when I'll be back. And you think there's a real connection there. And then he sees one pretty girl and immediately marries her. I also think that there is a level at which, when he leaves New York, he has accepted his fate as, there is no coming back from this. Sure. I cannot have a clean image, and I have kind of bound myself to the family business. And that... There, I think there's a, a level at which he understands that he needs to have a wife who is going to be on board with that as well. Mm, sure. And who better than a Sicilian woman who he knows his family will accept, obviously. Yeah. Um, and you, you, so much of the story w- between Michael and Kay is the is the is the business straining their relationship. She mm-hmm. does she does not understand it. Yeah. 
who better to understand it than a, a young Sicilian? Yeah. Um, so I think that there's that, that aspect of it too. It's like, it's not so much that he, as much as like, I'm going behind Kay's back and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, or I'm having an affair or something like right. that. This is a, this is a clean, a clear break. decision yeah. that he makes a, yeah. a very clear, if I'm going in, I'm going all in. Yeah. And this helps me do that. Yeah. Suppose I took it as the last scene of your family has planned out your future. We know what you're going to do when he goes to Italy. It feels like that's, in some sense, actually total freedom. Like sure. it's an undiscovered country separate. It's very much like Fredo going to Vegas and saying, this is actually who I am. It's Michael goes to Italy and like, this is actually who I am. Sure. Has his own strength, own confidence. Yeah. Finds a person who loves him that he has connection with. Sure. That life gets blown up. I, I wonder if Kay, if he ever told Kay about Apollonia. Yeah, I, I have no idea. It, it's not mentioned in in the third movie. Yeah. In fact, Apollonia isn't mentioned at all. No. Once she once she's once she's dead, yeah. Yeah. that's it. That's it. There yeah. is no more mention of her. There was a deleted scene from part one, where uh, I think it's Neri yeah, or okay. Rocco tracks him down, tracks mm. down uh, the uh, killer. Yeah, Fabrizio tracks oh, yeah. down Fabrizio and has a picture of him, and he had emigrated to. New York, or something like Don't that. Don't go to New York. No, I think it was Ooh. no, no, no. <laughs> Bad it was post. something like it was like Cleveland. Like he had oh, emigrated yeah. to Cleveland and was running a pizza shop <laughs> in Cleveland. <laughs> awesome. And there's a scene where he gets into his car and it blows up. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he yeah. gets his revenge. Michael yeah. gets his revenge on yeah. on Fabrizio. But I mean, didn't make the the cut. And even in the deleted scenes, she's not mentioned. Right. Like you get the sense that Neri doesn't even know why he wants this guy dead. Sure. So pacing quickens at this point and we're bouncing back and forth a lot. And we see Vito now with a mustache helping out a widow Mm -hmm. showing how he does business. It's a great setup for that, that character bounce back forward. We got Frankie Pantangeli and FBI hands. And now we're like, Oh, this is what's going on. Flipped on the mob. We're gonna see the how, how. What does this actually look like behind closed doors? But you also immediately know that he's not gonna outlive this movie. This is true. <laughs> that dude flipped on the mob. He's not gonna. He's, he's not gonna stay alive. <laughs> There's no chance. Is that where he's? I don't know if this is the scene where he's complaining about the fact that it's like he was supposed to say. Oh yeah, yeah. He bet that his two FBI handlers that. Uh, they would take that he would plead the fifth. And mm-hmm. of course he comes right out of the gate and reads a statement. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he loses money from the, it's going to f- force Frank to get on the stand and yeah. Yeah. Finger him. Cut back over to Lake Tahoe. We're going to have a conversation in a garden house. Fredo comes in, picks the wrong chair, Fredo. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Got a lot to say, Mike. By the way, if you haven't seen the movie, Fredo's chair is like like two inches off the floor, and Michael is just towering over Fredo. I haven't got a lot to say, Mike. We have time. I was kept pretty much in the dark. I didn't know all that much. What about now? Is there anything you can help me out with? Anything you can tell me now? 
Dig up intentionally, that's all I can tell you. I didn't know it was gonna be a hit, Mike. I swear to God, I didn't know it was gonna be a hit. Johnny Ola bumped into me in Beverly Hills. And he said that he wanted to talk. He said that you and, and Roth were in on a, a big deal together. And that there was something in it for me if I could help him out. He said that he, he said that you were being tough on the negotiations, but if they could get a little help and close the deal fast, it it'd be good for the family. You believe that, Stone? You believe that? He said there was something in it for me on my own. What you hear there? An awful lot of justification, <laughs> trying to explain why he did the thing wrong. I didn't know what I was doing was as bad as it was. Scrambling. Well, and, and also the fact that, you know, he he tells Michael this, that, you know, it'd be good for the family. <clears throat> and Michael says, and you believe that. And he doesn't even respond to that question. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't even say, I did believe that. Mm -hmm. He just goes straight for, who the hell cares if I believed it? There was something in it for me. Right. Yeah. I was distracted by the shiny toy. Yeah. Yeah. Michael is elevating. Here's the facts. Are you an idiot? And Fredo is saying, don't you realize my desires? Can't you see my desires? Mm -hmm. Can't you yeah. see what I want? Yeah. Right. There's a right. four argument. You're not paying attention to who I am and, or what I want. Yep. I've always taken care of you. Taking care of me? You're my kid brother and you take care of me? Did you ever think about that? Huh? Did you ever once think about that? Send Fredo off to do this. Send Fredo off to do that. Let Fredo take care of some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere. Send Fredo to pick somebody up at the airport. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over. There's, there's a lot of significance in this conversation. This is going to be the 4-8 debate. Two going to eight would say this. Mm, I don't think so. <clears throat> totally defensive of themselves and coming out in an angry posture that isn't natural to them. But I, I think a two moving to eight draws boundaries. Like the two moving, the two picking up stuff at eight in, in stress, like that is a move of, about the two finally standing up for themselves. And I don't think that's what Fredo's doing here. I think Fredo is justifying why he's so hurt. I can see that. It feels like he's making a big list of all the things that he's done for everybody else at their command. I, I, what the way that I read that is this is what you gave me, mm -hmm. and these things are meaningless. Ooh, I like that. That actually is yeah. valuable. Yeah. I do love that that Michael immediately comes back with That's the way Pop wanted it. Which for, for Michael, that's you know, that's it. Right. That's fine. Yeah. This is yeah. Like in Michael's eyes, whatever Pop wanted is how it's gonna be. Yeah. Succession. It's succession. This is how this works. But Michael's also only responding to one specific point. Right. That Fredo was stepped over. That Fredo was stepped over. Yeah. Exactly. 
where Fredo is is bemoaning the fact that he's not taken seriously. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're having two different conversations, yeah. basically. And and I also like I, I want to double down on like Fredo says, send Fredo off to do this, send Fredo to do that, let Fredo do this. Like like he is not he's not offering what he has done. He's offering from the perspective of the people who have sent him. Like he, he, the things that he's bemoaning here is that that he was not given something. Not here's what I've offered to you. Right. Feels like there's a great enneagram something here between people who are heart types and head types in terms of having conversations where they're just not talking to each other and they're mm-hmm. going right Agreed. past each other. They're not having a conversation. Right. They're both speaking about things that are principal to them that mm-hmm. seem obvious. Yep. And it's just not obvious to the other person, and therefore there's just no connection. Right. And this might be a really good representation of what happens across the existential gap. Oh. Between the head and the heart. If it was four and five. Yeah. 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 The the five who is addressing the facts of what has happened, and the four who is exclusively addressing the feelings. Yeah. And sure. my feelings. Yeah, it's my feelings on that one. Yeah. I also think that there's a level two where, uh, at which Michael has, he is, he already knows that he is going to excommunicate his brother. Right. You are not my brother anymore. So the entire point of this conversation is for me to gain something, which is information on what Roth was up to. Yep. And what do I need to know now with this hearing? Yeah. Whereas Fredo is trying to defend himself and, and get his brother to understand him. Right. Michael could care less. You know, it's just like, what do you want me to do? You know, yeah. I, I did all X, Y, and Z. I hadn't thought about that. It felt like when he left, the last time we saw Michael, he was with Tom, yeah? Mm-hmm. Or no, he was with his mom. Why don't people love me? Now he has decided Fredo's out. Mm-hmm. Something happened. At some point he decided to go from, where's Fredo? I need to repair these things. To here, I think you're right. Like he's going to really be, okay, we're shifting. And and he says also to Neri, I don't want anything to happen to him until while well, my mother's alive. Yeah. I mean, not only has he excommunicated, at this point he knows that he's going to kill him. Right. Again, I think this this further represents that Michael does not understand how relationships work. Yeah. Like I I don't think he went from how do I get people to love me to I'm going to cut my brother off. I think he went from I don't understand why people don't like that I give them provision and treat me like my father because I give them provision to I I think he had this in mind while he was talking to his mom. I, I think that conversation with his mom was more about like why like trying to understand the relational aspect and going into this conversation with Fredo it it he's still not connected to the relational con- he he's not in this his heart is not in this and right. I, I don't i don't think there was a change represented there is there something to fives moving further and further in distress if you're on if you are the target of a senate subcommittee i yeah, imagine that right, might right. elevate your <laughs> your stress level sure blood pressure went up two ticks the I wonder if this isn't in part him taking out some of that on on Fredo. Sure. Well, and I I, I think I, I agree with you, Teach, that the 
he seems to have sort of this idea of family is guided by a set of rules. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you like, I'm here to provide for you. That is my role in this family. Yep. That's it. Yeah. You broke the rules. Yep. You betrayed me. You're done. Yeah. And what's interesting too is, uh, you know, in the third movie, a whole lot of a, a big, a major theme of the third movie is he's dealing with the guilt of having killed Fredo. Mm. But the line that's really telling about it is he breaks down to I forget who he's talking to, but he breaks down mm-hmm. talking about it. And the, what he says is, I killed my father's son. Mm, not my brother. I didn't kill my brother. I killed my father's son. Oh, in, in Godfather 3. In Godfather 3. Right. That's the line. Yeah. So far, the only real connection that we've seen with him and another and any other person is with his father. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In Sunny in Apollonia. We don't see real a- emotional connection with Apollonia or Sunny. You don't think so? There's no reason to assume that that Michael actually cared about Apollonia. Ooh. And in particular too when Kay. you if we go back to the scene with Kay or actually we didn't totally discuss this but when Kay tells him that she had an abortion that entire scene. Mm-hmm. You know, she says, I'm going to, I'm leaving you. Yeah. I'm taking the children and I'm leaving you. And Michael straight up says, there are things that have been going on with, for millennia between men and women that are just not going to change. Yep. You're my wife. I'm your husband. You're not leaving. That's the end of it. Yeah. There. So once again, this is the rule. Yeah. These are the rules. We're going to stay inside the rules. Yeah. And if we go outside of the rules, then there are consequences. And yeah. sure enough, you killed my son. There are consequences now. You're done. Yeah. Not only are you are we done, you don't get to see your children really. Right. You are excommunicated. Right. Vito had a real connection with Mama. Mm-hmm. We, they don't play that out a ton, but like bringing the pair, like there's there's a lot of showing. Right. Yeah. With that, but not like they're not focused on it. There's not a ton of connection between Michael and Kay. There's almost nothing to go off of with Apollonia. Because we, we don't even experience, encounter their conversations. Right. I, th- I suppose what I feel out of those scenes is a lot of warmth and comfort. And the, him teaching her to drive the car shows a level of intimacy for me. Sure. Yeah. There's just not a that, whole lot to flesh out. That could also be because you're currently in the process of teaching your children <laughs> how to drive. I saw this movie uh, yeah. a year ago, at least. <laughs> I, I I I think that the director is showing intimacy. I think that Apollonia represents his heart, and it blows up, and he doesn't have a heart anymore after that. Mm. Which I could totally take. I I don't think that distract that that detracts at all from the reality that like when Michael is talking to Fredo, like he he does not understand that there is not an emotional connection between him and Fredo. He thinks that the provision that he has offered to his brother is enough, and it's not. Yeah. I suppose maybe this, I mean, this is a Breaking Bad story. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of warmth with his relationship with Kay up front, with Tom up front, with Fredo up front, with his father and Sonny. There is a I need to discover who I am side to Michael. Sure. But he keeps making the wrong decision at the wrong time. Right. And and he has real, uh, it's not necessarily character flaws as much as it is. He's super weak in some in relational areas. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, even the even the line about uh, I don't want anything to happen to him while my mother is alive. That's not about any kind of relational connection. That's about this false sense of protecting his mom. Right. Because if he was really going to honor his mother appropriately, he wouldn't have his brother killed. Yeah. Period. There's a nihilistic side to the five there in terms of death is the end and it doesn't matter anyway. Right. Right. So she's dead. But just a few minutes before that, he said he tells Fredo that the reason that Fredo didn't want didn't get any powers because this is what Pop wanted. Well, on on that front, yeah, that's an asset. That's a card to play, isn't it? But if you don't be- believe that there's any power after death, sure. then why on earth would you do anything to honor your father? I, I agree, one. But two, I think in those spheres, in the tight inner circle that they have, if he's able to say, our dad said it was me. Mm-hmm. It, that just has a thousand pounds sure. to the scale. Yep. Agreed. And that means that you're going to be going as a taxi service for us, buddy. Right. That's a crappy card to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and actually, and that is why Fredo unleashes at that point. Mm-hmm. It ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart and I want respect. You get the sense that he's also yelling at Vito in a way. That's exactly yeah. right. Like or or even just yelling at his circumstances of he's yelling existence. at the, the universe. Yeah. yeah. I mean and it is I mean it John Cazale is just such a fantastic yeah. actor because that came from uh, it was so guttural. It came from his soul. But yeah. It feels like he's also yelling at Vito. I hadn't thought about that. That's good. I, I still want to pause on that. We got to wrap this sucker up. But <laughs> Michael, entirely dismissive of a man who he should care about more than anything, showing his full heart. Michael says, oh, I love you. I care about you. I see you. You're so important to me. Notice how much you've done. Nope. Is there anything else you could tell me about this investigation? Completely changes the subject. I mean, there's your four argument. You have been been dismissed. Yeah. You don't matter. Yeah. You're not seen. And the look on his face, too. I mean, just the resignation that you see yep. on Fredo's face mm-hmm. at that point. I mean, he's in that lounge chair. Yeah. And, it, I mean, he kind of, it's almost like he sinks through it to the floor. Yeah. Right. He gets lower. <laughs> he gets somehow lower. <laughs> Senate lawyer. He belongs to Roth. Michael has all the evidence that he needs. And the evidence has a compelling verdict, which he's going to deliver. You're nothing to me now. You're not a brother. You're not a friend. I don't want to know you or what you do. I don't want to see you at the hotels. Don't have a job anymore. I don't want you near my house. When you see our mother, I want to know a day in advance so I won't be there. You understand? And Fredo knows exactly what he's Heartbreaking. saying. Heartbreaking. Yeah. In a uh, cornucopia of great scenes, that one, that one shines. Mikey, I don't want anything to happen to him while my mother's alive. 
Cut to the Senate, Pantangeli, upon seeing his own brother and his love for his own brother. That poor guy. Like, <laughs> like I wonder if they like told that guy, just, just come in and look confused. Mm-hmm. That's all you have to do. Everywhere you go, every time the camera's on you, all you have to do is look confused. Sit next to this sinister-looking man. <laughs> yeah. Pantangeli loves his family, and again, representing Italian-America. Here and now, under oath, were you at any time a member of a crime organization headed by Michael Corleone? I don't know nothing about that. We have a sworn affidavit. We have it. Your sworn affidavit that you murdered on the orders of Michael Corleone. Look, the FBI guys, they promised me a deal. So I, so I made up a lot of stuff about Michael Corleone, because that's what they wanted. But, but it was all lies. Uh, everything. And I kept saying, uh, uh, Michael Corleone did this, and uh, Michael Corleone did that. So I said, uh, yeah, sure. Michael goes back to Nevada having skirted the law, find, has a conversation with Kay. Super hard. Does Diane Keaton know that she's going to get hit? I have no idea, actually. I mean, I, I want to say that there's no possibility that they would have hit her without her knowledge. I got the sense that from everything I've heard, it feels like she she didn't realize that this was going to be a scene sure. where we're going to really do this. I also could see Al Pacino. I mean, yeah. This is the, this is in, in my opinion this is one of the greatest well acted best well acted scenes ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The look of rage on his face is so intense that I could easily see him just being so caught up in the moment that that was the sure. his natural response. Yeah. But then but, again I don't know. But also to give credit to Diane Keaton I feel like this kind of like this emotional space is like, this is where Diane Keaton shines the brightest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like everything that I've seen her in where, where she is to be in this, I will not be a victim to you anymore. Kind of moment. Like sure. that she, she comes alive to, to build on that. The thing she targets in the, what the weapon she uses is you're dumb and you didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. At this moment, I feel no love for you at all. I never thought that would ever happen, but it has. I know you blame me for losing the baby. I'll change. I've learned that I have the strength to change. And you'll forget about this miscarriage. And we'll have another child and we'll go on. Oh, oh, Michael. Michael, you are blind. It wasn't a miscarriage. It was an abortion. An abortion, Michael. Just like our marriage is an abortion. Something that's unholy and evil. I didn't want your son, Michael. I wouldn't bring another one of your sons into this world. It was an abortion, Michael. It was a son, a son, and I had it killed because this must all end. 
it hits him threefold. He lost a son. He lost a wife. If we go with the Hagen new, he lost his other brother. Mm-hmm. He's got nothing. And at the end of this whole speech, you're an idiot. You didn't realize that it was an abortion, not a miscarriage. Yeah. That's it. And and I also think it like she is pointing out that he does not understand how relationships work. Right? Yeah. He probably knows that he has that flaw mm-hmm. at some level. Well, but and and this is the the importance of the conversation with his mother. Yes. Why, why don't people love me? Yes. And here she is saying nobody actually loves you. <laughs> That's exactly. It's, right. Yeah. yeah. It, here's confirmation. Yeah. So much so that I gave up your son yes. because I didn't want to have it. This all needs to end. Uh. <laughs> Again, just the ripples of this, in, especially in Breaking Bad, how they, they play out these kind of lines. Mm-hmm. This just sets the standard for that, that kind of storytelling. On the flip side, we see Vito with family. Returning to Corleone and getting some revenge. Yep. Pull out a knife. And guts Don Tomasino. This just straight across. is amazing. Yeah. There's part of me that's just like, it's so, I'm so happy that it was that violent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gives him the De Niro look. I don't know how else to say this, but it's. Ultimate like, stank face. You're trying to. <laughs> you're trash and I'm going to move on. I, I also want to draw attention. Obviously. De Niro is getting revenge for the murder of his entire family, mm-hmm. but all, uh, sorry, Vito is getting revenge, but also he kills what's his name in the neighbor in the neighborhood of New York, because that guy is a bad Don Finucci. He's irresponsible. He's inconsistent and, and he's treating the people that he's supposed to be quote unquote protecting poorly. The guy that he kills in Don Don Chichi or Chichio or whatever his name is, the guy that he kills in Sicily, M- murdered his father because his father wouldn't do what the Don wanted. Murdered his a child, his brother, because he ran up into the hills and vowed revenge. And then murdered his mother in front of Vito. Yeah. Because he refused to spare this nine-year-old boy. The, this guy essentially created his own murderer by treating him terribly. And, and like, the, like, the fact that the, these, the criers at the beginning were, were going around town threatening townspeople who might have pity on this nine-year-old boy. This was a bad guy. Vito was not just getting revenge. Vito was enacting justice and protecting other people who were victims of this very bad person. Yep. Embodiment of a justice as it ought to be. And then there's Michael who, in the next scene, speaking of justice, Connie's going to come to him at their mother's funeral, Mm -hmm. return to a funeral, and ask for... Michael to forgive Fredo. Right. Goes and hugs Fredo. Clearly forgiveness has been bestowed. And then there's the look. The slow look yeah. to Neri, which <laughs> I have to say, 
the look that Neri gives him back of he kind of has this look of like, oh, look, they've made up mm-hmm. to slowly realizing what he wants him to do and him kind of looking down. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, this is the guy who not 45 minutes earlier in the film had the scariest look of all time standing in that <laughs> <Yeah>. brothel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's scared of, of now yeah. of, uh, of Michael and Michael's wrath. Cut to Tom and Michael in, in the boathouse. Tom, sit down. Our friend and business partner, Hyman Roth, is in the news. You hear about it? I hear that he's in Israel. Mm-hmm. The high court in Israel turned down his request to live there as a returned Jew. His passport's been invalidated, except for a return to the United States. He landed in Buenos Aires yesterday. He offered a gift of a million dollars if they let him live there. They turned him down. He's going to try Panama. Panama won't take him. Not for a million, not for 10 million. His medical condition is reported as terminal. He's only going to live another six months anyway. He's been dying of the same heart attack for 20 years. That plane goes to Miami. That's right. That's where I want it met. Again, the conversation about pacing. How the hell did Hyman Roth become an international fugitive? When did that happen? That also was not... All of a sudden, he, he Israel won't let him live there. Israel won't let him live there? Buenos Aires won't let him live there? Panama. Panama won't even take... Like, what? When did, when did he become an international fugitive? Right. Whatever. You got me on that one. I missed that. Yeah. Mike, that's impossible. They'll turn him over directly to the Internal Revenue, Customs, and half the FBI. It's not impossible. Nothing's impossible. It would be like trying to kill the president. There's no way we can get to him. Tom, you know you surprise me. If anything in this life is certain, if history's taught us anything, it says you can kill anyone. E2 Brute. I, I think there's something to be said about character here. Like that they never the family under especially under Vito, like they never do anything that's really brazen. Uh, they they killed the head of the four families, but all of them like it, five like these these five deaths were fairly like like public, but they were all orchestrated by Michael. the The way that the veto handles things is a little bit more. It's not in the shadows, but it's less like overt. I'm going to find one of the most infamous worldwide criminals as he gets off his plane and is being extricated by the fbi michael is very bold oh yeah and and tom is trying to say like like this isn't the best way to do this because it's so open it's so public it's so clearly you are trying to murder hyman roth and and tom is like trying to like back away from how big this is Right, downplaying the conflict. Dare we say? Well, and and, <laughs> and not only that too, but the person that ends up killing Roth is Rocco, his capo. Yeah, who's right. immediately killed. Yeah, following yeah. that. Yep. Yeah, and he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, this is a suicide mission. It's period. it's literally a suicide yeah. mission, yeah. and I, like he is willing to sacrifice one of the two. Well, you've got Tom who is effectively the underboss at this point, but he has two capos, which is Neri and it's Rocco. Mm-hmm. He is willing to sacrifice Rocco, one of his most trusted loyal men, yeah. mm-hmm. to have the satisfaction of killing Hyman Roth, 
who's three months before his own death in federal custody. Yeah. The way I read this as just to add on to that is that there is one element that he gains and it's that a public execution of your enemy actually creates fear and all the other potential enemies. Sure. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how old you are, or how, you know, on that front. Right. I also, and Fredo's death is somewhat like that too. It gets around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I also, I suppose um, there could be fear that, well, what's Roth going to say to the feds? Once he's, you know, sure. in an interrogation room. Sure. You know, does he have more information that could lead to the demise of Michael? Well, but, Which but is, even is then, that why he needs to get, they need to get him on the tarmac, like, right. before he has a chance to talk to the feds, or, right. I don't know. I mean, the, then then we were on the risk of having to talk about double jeopardy and... Right, I suppose that's true. Right. Yeah. There's a joker element here where you rob the bank with five guys and then you kill all four of them and you take all the money for yourself. It's right, right. Like, but it, his whole story is building towards isolation. Right. Yeah, The it, at the end of the first part, he kills five guys. At the end of the second part, he kills one guy. Three. The, it's Fredo, Frankie... He convinces Frankie to to kill himself. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about Frankie. But, but yeah, the the idea being like it, it's it's the same move. It's right. it's consolidating power. It's yeah. eliminating my enemies in a, in a somewhat public way. It's it's pure revenge. Pure revenge. Yeah. Which we we haven't talked a lot about this, but notice the low side of security. Yep. For Michael here, that yep. in the low side of security, fives will go to to the darkest parts of eight, mm-hmm. pick up some of that vengeance, control, power, like all of it. Once I know yeah. all the facts, I'd, I'd I'd go to a very dark control space. Yep. As we hinted at, those three assassinations occur. Fredo sits in the boat after having the beautiful conversation with Anthony about saying hail marys and catching fish. Another biblical image, I suppose, on that front. Mm-hmm. Pantangeli is in prison, has the beautiful conversation with Tom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's understated. You know what? Sometimes people just uh, take a hot bath, yep. uh, have their last days where they dance and have. Do you remember the. Yeah. Do you ever read about the Roman generals? <laughs> they sound yeah, great. Yeah, it's so good. And so we see Fredo shot in the boat. We see. Um, Roth killed in the airport, and we see Frank in the bathtub. Again, ends similarly to the first movie. And we see Michael alone in a dark room, no family. That's the end of the movie, except for then there's a coda. First coda, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And we get that last scene. And the last scene is a throwback to the family when everybody's together. It's a birthday Carlo is first introduced to everyone else. Yeah, this is him meeting Connie, even. Hey, everybody, come on, pay attention. Come here. It's my friend Carlo Rizzi. It's my brother Fredo. Oh, you know Fredo. Sure, huh? This is my stepbrother Tom. That's his uh, girl Teresa. This cute little thing over here this is my sister Connie. I was telling you about it, huh? Come on, say hello to Carlo. He's good looking, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> Oh, that droopy thing over there, that's my brother Mike. We call him Joe Collin, you know what I mean? <laughs> Come on, sit down. Go ahead. And they're talking about the cake and dinner and Pearl Harbor. 
Dropping bombs in our own backyard on Pop's birthday. Yeah. They didn't know it was Pop's birthday. They didn't know it was Pop's. <laughs> well, we should have expected it after the oil embargo. I understand 30,000 men enlisted this morning. Watch your saps. Where are they saps? Honey, come on. We don't have to talk about the war. Hey, Beep. You talk to Carl, all right? They're saps because they risk their lives for strangers. Setting up everybody here. Yep. This is actually the only time where I say, you know, actually, maybe Sonny would have been the best on. Because is not Sonny actually the one? Is Sonny the only person who can actually create the family? I suppose Fredo could create the family, maybe. No, I think Vito's the only person that can create the family. Uh, I, I think Sonny only thrives here because he's not actually in charge. He has a position of power, but he's not the one at the top. If he, when he becomes the one at the top, yeah, his his that that lustful side of him takes over, That's especially true. because it's in wartime. He can be great when he's not fighting, but when he's fighting, he's too much. Mike and Sonny have a conversation about all the things going on overseas, and Mike says, oh, "That's Pop talking." You're goddamn right. That's Pop talking. Mm-hmm. Risk, risk their lives for their country. Your country ain't your blood. You remember that. I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. Well, if you don't feel like that, why don't you just quit college and go to go to join the army? I did. I enlisted in the Marines. Mikey, why? Why didn't you come to us? What do you mean? I mean, Pop had to pull a lot of strings to get your deferment. Well, I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for a deferment. I didn't want it. What's your order? Come on, come on, I'm not gonna walk. Come on, come on, hey, come on, Sonny, hunk, Sonny. Sonny, sit down. Go on, sit sit down. Thank you for all this heart on his birthday. Yes, well, Mike. Congratulations. Uh, That's right, encourage Go on, give me a drink. Go on. Mike, you gotta understand that uh, your father has plans for you. Now, many times, he and I have talked about your future. Talk to my father about my future. My future. Mikey, he has high hopes for you. Well, I have my own plans for my future. Once you go to college, you get stupid. You're really stupid. He's here, come on. Sonny is elevating blood. Tom is elevating the plans of the family. Mike is trying to figure out who he is. I suppose then Fredo says, congratulations, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fredo shakes the his hand. Four yeah. sees the beautiful, unique thing in his brother. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, to me, Mike is the, the, uh, the one turn that happens is actually in, in the, um, when Mike is confronting his, is faced with his father dying in the hospital. And he says, I'm with you now. I think that's a that's a significant personality, not personality, but the, the, this is the moment where Michael stops trying to separate himself from his family. And this whole scene, to me, is a, a great representation of like, even while he is at the table for his father's birthday, he does not see himself as part of this family. And... Like you, you could say something about like the the four wing being more prominent here that that like like he he sees himself as outside of this space and like this might he might even be him a little bit more in touch with his emotions than he is as he grows older, 
Um, but the, the isolation that he sees in himself that, that he makes decisions outside of the family. He, he chooses his own path outside of the family. Mm. He doesn't even tell them that he's thinking about it. He just does it. He is living his own life apart from whatever the family wants for him. And like to me, that, that speaks back to what we talked about almost at the very beginning with, with five sort of withholding. Like he is, he is not sharing his life with these people because these people don't have any claim over him. And when it comes out, it's, it's kind of nonchalant. It's like, he's, he's not, he's not saying it in a way to disappoint. He's just stating a fact. And it's like, like the, he, he is separate from them and charting his own path. Yep. And he spent the whole movie trying to figure out why he's not part of the family. Yeah. That's the beauty of this last scene is exactly that. It just is the the foreshadowing is obviously all over the scene. Right. Scene ends with Vito pulling up in the other room. Everybody is enthusiastic to see their father and run out the door toward their father. And Michael is left all alone and just doubling down on that image. So that's the movie. Actually, they're singing a song. Which nobody ever, see. you can't imagine everybody singing for he's a jolly good fellow to Michael. Yeah. Right. Vito has earned that in terms of his presence. So everybody loves Vito. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. It's only a three hour movie. It's good times. That's what I got. <laughs> I suppose outro wise, it would mean the world to us if you would share this with somebody that you love, preferably who you could make them an offer that they couldn't refuse with uh, (laughs) listening to our podcast. Don't murder anybody. That was lame, actually. But, you know, (laughs) if you have a Godfather fan, send it to them. We have regular online gatherings every other week. Go to our website, aroundthecircle.org. On the main page, there's links. um, uh, 20, 30, 40 people meet every other Sunday. And we talk shop. And this has been one of the most meaningful things that we've experienced recently. And I hope that you try it out. Just register. Join us. It's good times on Sunday nights. Um, If you want to see all the stuff that we're up to, uh, go to that website, roundthecircle.org. Our typing tool is there. Our events are there. Uh, We have coaching options there. Lots of good stuff. And as always, we'd love some stars on the iTunes and Spotify. Kieran, it's been a delight having you. Thanks, fellas. Always into these conversations. I always feel like I'm bugging you when you're at your coffee shop. So oh, never, just never. Pull you in to make put a microphone in front of you. You can't go anywhere. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, thanks for having me again, fellas. Yeah, it's been a blast. TJ, you got anything else? I got nothing, man. It's TJ Wilson. It's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook, and who you aren't isn't interesting. Waiter. Uh, uno banana daiquiri.